something that fills my cup as a way to fill the cup of others and support my family. You know, I, I think that would be amazing. Hello, I am Joel Ingram, and this is Crisis to Crush It Podcast. Let's dive into this week's talk, and I'll help to increase perspective, expand perception, and allow you to change your reality. Enjoy the show. I've sort of said to the missus, we need to sit down and actually start really scheduling our time to get purpose over there, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, I'm kind of slowly getting to that point, you know, and, and my social media has been an absolute just insane place over the last, um, because uh, um, I was on a TV show recently. How did uh, that go? Pretty, oh, I, I had a blast. Yeah. Um, I, actually, I actually did it last year around, uh, we filmed it um, right around Thanksgiving, and um, it just aired. And so I've probably gotten more Facebook friend requests in the last two or three weeks than I have in the last two or three years. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's you know, uh, are you familiar with the TV show Forged Empire? Yes, yes. Now, okay. now that, that's, I think I saw something popped up on my feed. Okay. And that's why I contacted you. Um, me, and the, me and the boy watch it. Okay. And, and, and I'm a... I'm a I'm a a dreaming f- uh, blacksmith, you know. So it's uh, it's something I I would love 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 to have a crack at, and uh, yeah. So I I just love love all that sort of stuff. So yeah, oh, I I had a blast with it. I, and you know, <laughs> people ask all the time. You're like, you know, how do you? you know, how, I, I'll be honest. My favorite was my mom's question when I called her and told her that hey, they contacted me and asked me if I'd like to be on the show. And my mom's first question was. Well, she said, well, you know, we, we watch that show quite a bit and they make some really cool stuff. Do you think you're good enough for that? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so my first thought is, well, thanks, mom. And that was, you know, probably not, but you know what? I'm going to go have a blast. Yeah. You know, they pay for your flight out there. They put you in a nice hotel and they feed you food and you get to go meet some cool people having a wild experience. And so I got a week vacation, and all I had to do was take a few vacation days to get it done. It was a blast. I mean, it was—it really was. I mean, and <laughs> have you seen the episode yet? I haven't, no, but I'm going to try and resource it. Okay, yeah, because I don't—I don't know how that works, you know, over there. Because um, you're in the in the UK, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I don't know how that works as far as the TV and the and the channels and what plays when and where. But but yeah, I mean. I, I'll just put it this way. I'm not, I'm not worried about what I'm about having to pay taxes on all that extra money. That's, that's not something I have to worry about, <laughs> but you know, I had, I had so much fun with it and there was so much good that, that I could pull out of it that, Hey, if I don't get a check sent to my house, you know, for $10,000, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. I mean, I think that's really, the right, the right way to go into it. Just look, you know, appreciating it's a process and it's an experience and just seeing what you can learn, you know? Well, exactly. And, you know, four people show up, right? One person wins. Yeah, I mean, at best, you, if everyone is, is evenly skilled and talented, you, you have a, a 25% chance of winning. Hmm. It means you have a 75% chance of losing. So just be prepared for that and, and go at it and have fun. I mean, I, I did. I had a blast. And, and the one thing I will tell you is that for a show that's been around for six seasons now and had a pretty wild level of, you know, global success, um, Man, the judges on that show, 
I couldn't find one shred of ego. No way. They, like, David Baker was as down-to-earth as you could possibly want to be. You know, Ben Abbott was just a super nice guy. And Doug Markita, as nice as he seems on TV, he's nicer in person. <laughs> that must have been a bit of a shock to the system, wasn't it? I, I really kind of expected it to be. I mean, you expect, you know, that level of success would have some some amount of ego in it. But, you know, especially when you have, you know, multiple judges and all that who – but really it was – if I if I was forced to complain about something – Maybe I would say, "Hey, I had to wait for a few hours to get out of the out of LaGuardia Airport to come home because of a snowstorm." But it was a few hours of my life. I mean, it wasn't bad at all. It really wasn't. There, there was there was really nothing negative about the situation. I just had a blast the whole time. So it's fantastic. So, yeah. What did you get to make? Um, we were making. We, we got the the challenge of knives of our signature our style. You know, kind of the classic first. But but the challenge was that they had. Um, you had to make, have you, you've seen them make uh, canister Damascus, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So rather than canister Damascus, we did three different types of canister Damascus. Um, we had to use ball bearings to do one. We had to use railroad spike for another and 1095 steel for another and forge weld all three different, uh, canisters together to create a knife. Oh, and wow. I've never made canister Damascus before. <laughs> <laughs> I've only seen it on TV. I quite frankly had no clue what I was doing, except that I knew that, you know, the reason they chose those materials is because two of them are hardenable steel and the third one is a much softer steel. And so they're going to, they're going to harden at different temperatures and, and rates. And so they're it's If you put the three in a one, two, three, you're either going to have to put the, the soft metal in the middle where the blade is and have a soft metal, you know, have a soft blade, which is not going to be good or put it on the outside of those three. And when you harden it, it's going to curve and warp real bad. Right. And so, you know, that, that was kind of, kind of the challenge there and figuring out just how to do three canisters. I was, I was blown away. I, I was like, holy crap, I don't know what I'm doing here, but you know, like anything, you just, you just take the next step and just, I've seen this, I've seen it on TV. I'm sure I can do it. And it turns out I can. So I did. <laughs> Fantastic. I can't wait to watch this episode now then. Cause that sounds like particularly uh, tricky. You, you must have learned a 10. Just from oh, I did for sure. You, you, that, it, and even I want to say Jeff on the episode said something that that really struck me, and I really like it. I kind of adopted it. You know, failure is not an option. You either you either win or you learn. Hmm. And sometimes, sometimes learning is the better option of the two because that that lesson goes a lot further. Oh, hundred percent. And that's a that's a that's a great mindset mindset shift. And one that you can apply to all of life. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And the, and the other Smiths that where I was on the show with, um, I'm still in a uh, Facebook messenger group that we communicate on a regular basis. You know, uh, one of the other guys drives quite a bit for his job. So do I. So uh, well, we talk quite a bit just riding down the phone, you know, riding down the road. He'll give me a call occasionally and, and we'll sit and just, just chat and, you know, and, you know, like I said, we filmed that last Thanksgiving, just just the week before Thanksgiving, if I remember right. And we're we've still been connected on 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 a messenger group, all four of us. And um, I, I just I couldn't have asked for for three other better guys to have thrown in there with me because it's it's been a great experience. I've gained some some good friends from it too, you know. And and uh, the mindset is such a powerful piece of that, you know. And meeting people who who have that right mindset is really challenging to do usually because 
most people, you know, here in America, most of the people you, you're going to run into on a daily basis are, you know, unhappy with their wife. They're frustrated with their kids. They hate their job. And, you know, so what are they working for? They work all these hours and work hard all week long so they can go home and watch football and drink beer on the weekends or hockey because I'm, I'm in the St. Louis area and they just want to stay in the cup. So that's the big thing everybody's talking about now, right? Okay. So they want to watch sports and drink beer on, on Friday night, Saturday, you know, maybe Sunday. And that's what they live Monday through Friday miserable for is so they can drink beer and watch sports on, on the weekend. And I'm like, man, that's not a life to live. And it's no wonder that all these people are just mad and frustrated and angry and, and, you know, the divorce rate's so high. I mean, if I spent half of my, you know, well, over half of my life busting my ass just so I could go home and drink beer and watch sports on the weekend, that, that sounds like a kind of miserable existence, you know? So finding somebody with the right mindset to, to step around all that, that, that's a rare thing. Yeah, I agree. That's, that's powerful words there, mate, because uh, a lot of people seem to, uh, and I was one of them, in fact, you reach a certain age and suddenly you find yourself in a position where you've, you know, you've got three kids, you've got a mortgage, you've got credit card debt, you're in a job that you don't particularly enjoy, all of those things that you just said. And then it's sort of like, what do you do about it? You know, because the, the choice is just sit in it, like you say, and just be miserable and come home and spew on your wife and kids all the negativity that you, you know, you, you hold it inside. Or do you own it? That's exactly it, you know. And and I, I kind of, you know, I came to my my real turning point. Uh, what about four years ago? It'll be four years ago. Let me look at the date. Yeah, we're we're less than a month away from the four four year anniversary of, of losing our oldest daughter. Who I'll I'll throw the caveat in there. Legally speaking, like like biologically speaking. We only have a couple of kids, um, our older sons. Um, my youngest four, we, we've been a foster family for years, and the youngest four we adopted through the foster care system. And Good our on you, man. Oh, well, thank you. Our oldest daughter, um, technically speaking, she is my wife's sister. I guess that makes her my sister-in-law. Right. So they're half-sister, right? They share a mother. Um, that, and in their family, there's a lot of addiction issues and some other stuff that goes on with that. And, uh, and she lived in our house for, for years and years. She called me daddy. She called my wife, mom. So I call her my daughter. You know, when she was in the hospital, my wife spent most nights down there with her in the hospital sick. Um, you know, she, she would ask my wife, you know, Hey, when's daddy going to come stay the night? And she wasn't talking about a biological father. Um, because quite frankly, he was, when he was there, he was, he had, uh, some sort of, well, I know what it was. He, he was addicted to methamphetamines. Okay. And he'd be down there and <clears throat> at the hospital and I was used to some issues and, you know, stuff that comes with that. But, um, you know, but that's, that's what she meant, you know, and we were mom and dad, even though biologically we weren't, you know, most of our children aren't biologically ours, but I always throw that caveat in there because some people can kind of get wrapped around that axle because they, there's something about having that DNA blood lineage that people think is more important than, than, uh, than, having a kid that you choose to, to raise as your own, you know, she, she gained a part, a part as uh, her part as part of our pack. You know, she gained her place in our pack years and years ago when she was a little bitty girl and, you know, she was just always ours. And, uh, 
So when she got sick, <clears throat> she spent um, she spent about nine months in the hospital, in the children's hospital here in St. Louis. And, and they worked and worked and worked. And it was such a rare thing, such a hard thing to watch, you know. And, and we ended up, after nine months of fighting, we ended up losing her. Um, oh, it was it was a rough deal, you know. And, and my wife was in a terrible spot, you know, mentally speaking. She was, you know, she was grieving really hard. And I had two teenage sons at the time who were also in a, a real hard grieving place. And, and the only way that I felt like... I could get through all of this with watching, um, you know, watching them and, and kind of keeping an eye on things that's going on was not to deal with my own stuff. You know, that I, I didn't, didn't feel like I had, you know, the time or place to grieve. And, and so I chose probably the less intelligent route, but it was the one that seemed to make sense at the time. And that's, you just have to kill your own emotions and, and a bottle of whiskey a night will do that. Yeah. And, and I did that for a while and then, you know, it kills all the bad stuff. And then it kills all the good stuff, and then your life gets really gray and dark. And um, fortunately, one one evening, my wife said something to me, and I don't even remember exactly what it was she said, but she said the right thing at the right moment, and I was fortunately able to hear what she had to say. Hmm. And I thought, it's time to turn it off. It's time to stop. And uh, so I was... I was thinking the next day about, hey, look, it's time to stop drinking. I'm going to have to figure this out. And um, and we were we were getting towards the end of the year. And my, my son, who's in the Army at that point, he called me. And he, he was talking. He said, hey, I'm coming home over the Christmas, you know, New Year's holiday. You know, we were talking. He said, I'd like to sit up on, on New Year's Eve and, and have a, a nice glass of whiskey and a cigar. And uh, he said, do you think we could do that? And I thought, you know what? That sounds like a decent cap to a long run of, of, of alcohol, you know, uh, Bad alcohol decisions, I guess we'll call it. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> and so when he came home on New Year's Eve, we set up, and I had a nice, I bought a nice bottle of whiskey and a couple of really nice cigars, and we sat outside and and we smoked a couple of cigars and had a few drinks, and and that was you know intentionally, I made it very intentional. That was my last drink, and as of today, well, I'd have to look exactly. We're just over a little over nine hundred days um, since my last drink, and. I, I, what I decided was I, I was going to, um, I'd kind of been introduced to, I believe it's Rory Fairbanks uh, group, uh, one year, no beer. And I was just going to take a year off of alcohol. And I got to the end of that year and thought, oh, dear God, I still feel it pretty strong. I I could go buy me a, a, a bottle of whiskey and finish it. Um, I need a bigger goal. So my next goal was a 1,000 days. I decided I'm going to go for a 1,000 days. And that happens, I think, late September this this year I should get to a thousand days. And uh, at this point, I don't think I'll ever go back, ever go back to drink. And it just doesn't seem like it makes sense to me. No. You know, somebody, somebody actually in the group asked me one day, he said, well, how does alcohol serve you? And that was a question that I had to wrestle with. I really had to wrestle with that. It's a, uh, it's quite a profound question. Uh, and oddly enough, it's when, when I, when I did the mastermind that we mentioned earlier on, this, the drinking come into it and there was sort of those challenges going on. I think if from there come into the, of around about that time, that group one year, no beer was created. And um, so people within the group were trying to better themselves as fathers, husbands and, and everything else. And, and that discussion come up. Um, and we sort of, some of us played with it and we had a go and there's only this year, which is basically three years later. Um, where I'm active, if, I, if I'm going out, 
not going out with a 24-pack of lagers or cider to a party. I'll take 10, and then I'll maybe have, you know, six of them, you know? just mm-hmm. like, But that's very few and far between. Like, the last two weekends, we've had a family vacation and a family barbecue yesterday. And that's probably the most I've drunk in those two weekends versus the last six, seven months. Because it's, and it comes down to that exact thing you just said, how does alcohol serve you? And I don't think we, I don't think we think about what it does to us because we're stuck on the wheel that you previously mentioned of trying to crush the emotions within us. Like when you, Mm -hmm. when you was talking then me, I started to fill up because you really resonated with me. Um, and when I think back to my own journey, um, a few years ago, like I was knocking 24 cans of Strongbow Friday, Saturday, and I go and buy more on Sunday, which mm-hmm. leaves, which leaves you having shit sleep, get up in the morning knackered, deal with the kids, go and buy crap food because you can't be asked to cook. Do you <laughs> know what I mean? C- come home, have, a, have an, a Chinese or an Indian or some takeaway food to then have a few more beers because that's what you do when you have takeaway food, you have some alcohol and then repeat. You're telling my story. <laughs> so, so here's the thing, right? Um, if, if, if that's our story, what is it about men that says, okay, you know, what, what are we afraid of to do that to ourselves? <clears throat> you know, for me, I think part of it was fear. And <clears throat> I'll back up just a little bit, just, um, nine months prior to, uh, to my daughter, actually, when when she went into the hospital, um, she was actually the first time she went into the hospital. She was in the hospital in the room next to my dad, and my dad had gone into the hospital uh, because, well, come to find out, he had cancer, and oh. so yeah, Jesus, he, he was on his way. He he was basically going home on hospice when she went into the hospital. It was more or less that time frame. So within nine months, I lost my father which was, I was very close to him. We had a very good, close relationship. Um, he was, he was, I was one of the lucky ones who had a good dad. And <clears throat> so I lost him. And in the process, the guy, the guy who, uh, my boss at work, I'd worked with for quite a few years. He ended up being killed in a car wreck a few months later. Uh-huh. And then a few months after that, I buried my daughter. And so, you know, I, I had no framework in my own mind as to how do you handle this much tragedy, this much stress. You know, I, I don't know. Are you familiar with Dr. Jordan B. Peterson? Yes. Okay. I listened to a lot of his stuff and I look back on the time I went through and that whole idea of, of, you know, the chaos being the thing that, that, that we're running from most of the time. You know, I was, I was deep in that, in that dark place of unknown chaos. I, I did not know how to handle that. All I knew was that everything around me had shifted. The, one of the few people who I would call and listen to their their perspective on things who would help me keep my head straight. Well, he just died. You know, I just lost my father. And then my daughter gets sick on top of that with another, you know, relationship in the middle of it, you know, through work, who, who somebody else who, who had helped me through a few things, you know, he passed away as well. So <clears throat> all of that just kind of bang, bang, bang. I, I really didn't know where to go. I had no, no framework to process that through. And then my wife, who was struggling hard as well with the loss of her daughter and, and everything else around me, really there was, I think it was just 
fear that I didn't know anything about what to do. I mean, there's no book on how to, how to deal with this, you know? I mean, I'm, maybe, I'm certain somebody has written a book on how to deal with the grief and loss of a parent and maybe even a child as well. I'm sure there's a book out there about that, but nobody tells you how to deal with those things stacked one on top of each other and then all the other drama that goes around it. And I just, I just didn't feel like I was capable of handling it. And so I ran and hid in a bottle and I stayed there for a long time. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't until I could really start to see how it was negatively impacted my life that I said, look, man, you got one or two choices. You know, alcoholism runs through my family. I can, I can go relive the legacy of my grandfather, right? But I didn't really know. He, he passed away when I was pretty young. But my mom would tell me he would go to work, come home with a bottle of, I think, vodka, if I remember right. He would drink the bottle of vodka, throw up his shoe soles, go to bed, get up hungover, go back to work, come home with a bottle of vodka, you know, and repeat that process. That was his life. And I thought, man, there's got to be something. There's got to be something more than this, you know. And after listening to the, the, the lot of the Jordan Peterson things, you know, I think what I realized was what I was really looking for was some meaning and all that. You know, is this life? Am I just going to go work, be miserable? get drunk, go back to work. Cause that's not much of a life. Yeah. You know, where is the meaning in that? <laughs> and ironically, my meeting just, my meaning just stepped out of, out of the room. <laughs> I have, um, come here, turtle. Come here. <clears throat> this is one of my, one of the things that, that has created a lot of meaning in my life right here. And that is these little guys right here. <laughs> it looks <laughs> hey, so man. happy with the world. <laughs> <laughs> this one will give you a ah, Hello. <laughs> Are we doing? Are we good? All right, guys. Go find mama. But you know, I mean, you look at that and like, like, what's the choice? I, I can go stay drunk and miserable, or I can use that as as some meaning in my life. I mean, think of the change I can make there, like. Like those two guys, right? You know, we adopted through foster care, right? One of them was born addicted to meth, oh. right? And spent his first two weeks on life on a methadone wean down. The other one at one week old, or sorry, at one month old. No, I'll get it straight here. <laughs> um, at, at a year old, he had, uh, we had him tested. Well, the judge had him tested actually because he was through the foster system and they did a hair follicle test so it's a 3 month sample so between 9 and 12 months of age he was positive for weed cocaine heroin meth and oxys oh wow now i mean you just imagine what was that life like for his first year life you know what had that young man been through so that's 3 3 months after he's still showing it oh yeah well a hair follicle test you know the, the hair follicle test will they can go back to roughly 3 months they cut the hair and do and do a test to, from the the root of the hair. Wow. So yeah, I mean, what what has he seen, right? Jeez. Right. And and kind of know the know the mom, the biological mom there, and she was you know homeless, living on the streets, um, running with the gang, and all, all sorts of other stuff. This kid has seen such true hell, and this kid has seen true chaos. Like, what? How does a nine month old process that? Right. They're struggling to figure out how to process the world sober. 
how do they process the world through the lens of, of all those drugs, mm. you know, and, and, and all the other things that he'd experienced. And so suddenly, you know, my, the meaning of my life goes from, I can stay drunk and I can be miserable and I can just, just stay in that, that kind of dark place where the whole world is gray. Or I can take this and look at the difference I can make. Cause you know, these two young guys have got a normal life now. Yeah. And despite the way the one looked, he's actually a pretty happy kid, just not in the morning. <laughs> Most kids are like that. <laughs> <laughs> the other one is not. The other one wakes up with a smile. He wakes up laughing some mornings. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 but, you know, they've been to such dark places. And when I see, they walked out of it. I mean, look at where they're at now. Yeah. They can be such happy. They've been through some of the worst experiences that you can ever imagine because they had to deal with it at such a young age. How can I, as a grown-ass man, not, like, step out of my own misery and say, hey, let's let's create something here. Let's let's find meaning. Let's leave a legacy. Because the truth is, is if those two little guys are just like the average American human and they go create 2.5 children each, you know, that means there's probably going to be five grandchildren whose lives will be radically changed from what they would have been otherwise. Oh, yeah. You know, and where does that end up in, in a hundred years? What does that change 50 years from now? How big of a legacy can you leave? Can you be the dad who is absent and not around the father who didn't make an impact on your kid's life because you were busy feeling sorry for this for yourself. And so you stayed drunk and useless on a regular basis, or can you go out and make such a positive impact in the world? Yeah. You know, create your own transcendence. Yeah. And that's that's what, what we've decided is, is worthwhile in our lives. Because, I mean, I'm not mad at anybody who, who has a beer now and then. I mean, because if you can live your life with that in it, that's fine. I can't. Yeah. I, I know I can't, right? If if I go buy a 24-pack, I'm, I'm going to be 24 beers in by the end of the night. If I buy a fifth of whiskey, it's going to be empty when I go to that. And I know that about myself. So I have to make that choice. Where do I want to live? In that place or in this place? And, you know, that's, that the answer is a no-brainer. It wasn't at the moment. It was a hard road to start. But like I said, my thousand days sober is coming up. I don't see that challenge meaning that I'm going to go get a beer. No. It's, um, it's fantastic self-awareness to be even to be – to turn that around to a point where you can recognize that you've got a choice because some people don't ever see that as an option. You know, I learned a lot from my father. One of the things I learned is that his dad died when he was about seven. His dad had um, some sort of cancer from the chemicals they used to spray in, in the orchards where he worked and he got cancer at a young age and passed away. And so some of the stories my dad had to tell, you know, my, my grandmother had uh, remarried a number of times. And one of them, one of the guys who she remarried, I stuck a fork in his head. Like literally, right? He had a rough childhood. <laughs> and, you know, a couple of my friends he met, um, he, he became a police officer years later. And he he met professionally, right? Like, like the mom, his mom called the police department and said, come deal with this child before I abuse him. And that's how my dad got to meet him because he, 
he was not, he wasn't being a good, he was a teenager, right? Yeah, well, preteen, but I mean, he was going through some stuff, right? And she didn't know how to handle it. He didn't know how to handle it. And um, turns out, you know, my buddy, he, he lives 20 miles up the road here. We're still good friends. And, um, you know, that came because my dad was willing to mentor him. He spent some time teaching him some stuff, you know, and he told him, he said, look, I know you got it. You know, you think you got it rough. You got it horrible. Anybody ever stick a fork in your head? You know, <laughs> let me tell you, I, I've got some, some pretty rough stories too. He's like, but the world doesn't care about your story. You know, the world doesn't care if, if you show up and you say, I have the story. There's no like instant pity there. But you got to get up and go and make it on your own. You got to get up and, and walk out into this world and be a productive member of society. Even if you had a hard start. That's how it works. So let's just get about doing that. And he mentored these young, these two young men and the difference it made in their lives. I think that's part of what, what really inspired me is I could see the difference, not only that it made in their lives, but between these two guys, you know, there's five kids whose lives are completely changed because of, of what their dad experienced in those formative teen years, you know, and it's, it's amazing how changing one person's life, one little thing will leave that ripple effect that will just kind of like the wake in the boat. You never know just how far it's going to go, you know, and every boat leaves a wake behind it. You don't get to choose that, you know? So what, what do you leave behind you? Is it the story my mom tells about her, her father who, who drank a, a bottle of vodka every night? Or is it the story where, where you change the lives of some unfortunate kids? Yeah. It's powerful stuff, man. It's, um, yeah, it, it, I, I struggle to comprehend how we can get to, like you said, your awakening happened four years ago after all that crisis. And mine happened probably about three years ago with realizing I was driving my family away from me. And if it kept on, I probably would be in a position where I wouldn't see my kids or my wife. And then understanding that, why would I? choose to well, why would I choose that for the future do you, do you know what I'm saying well you know life is uh, <laughs> and ironically one of the one of the one of those two young men that that my dad mentored he's he's oh, he's not a young man anymore he looks more like my age I was gonna say like me but he's a lot thinner and better shape and all that <laughs> but you know honestly one of the things that um you know my 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 18 year old son was having some struggles and, and he went out and stayed with him for a couple of weeks. And when he came back, it was because this young guy is such an amazing mentor of people. That's what he does. He really knows how to speak into a life to in a way that people can hear, especially my, my teenage son, right? Because my teenage son can't hear what I hear. Right. No. But one thing he, he came back with was, was he said, it's all about choices, dad. Everything's about choices. And I said, you're right. It is. It's all about choices. I am in the place I am today. I am the man I am today based solely on how I chose to react to the situations that were sometimes foisted upon me, sometimes choices that were the result of my other choices. You know, I mean, I I didn't make a choice to deal with, with, you know, my dad's cancer or, or with my daughter's disease, you know, that wasn't a choice. Right. But I did make the choice to pick up the bottle and that made that changed who I was. And then I made the choice to change. And somewhere along the line, you can either feel sorry for yourself and pity for yourself because man, my life is so hard. 
or you can say, look, I get to choose how to react to this situation. It's some days that's the only choice you have is your reaction. And you slow down, you do some, a little bit of mindfulness practice to where you don't just react to things in an instant. It's not a knee jerk reaction. You take the time to respond to it in a way that's going to give you the thing that most closely approximates the meaning that you're looking for. Because most people will talk about looking for happiness. And I think happiness is, is one of those things that's, it's kind of a BS thing, right? Because I'm happy, right? I'm happy because say, say I got on a TV show and I wanted $10,000, right? I'm happy. That, that'd be huge. That'd be awesome. But in the big scheme of things, $10,000 isn't going to change my life. If I'm, if I'm still an alcoholic, I'm going to go home and blow through that $10,000 in no time, right? The money doesn't bring the happiness. That doesn't bring, well, I guess it, it brings some temporary happiness. And that's the thing about happiness is it's really temporary. But I think the real goal that I struggle for on a regular basis is knowing that life is full of tragedy and suffering. And, and there's a lot of hard stuff in life. And yeah, there's a few moments of happiness that are kind of punctuated in there. But man, how do you deal with that, with that hard stuff? And the only thing I found is to find meaning in your tragedy. You know, the things I've learned from going through the stuff with, with our daughter, you know, from losing her and having to reframe my whole world because, you know, when, when you put your hand on the child, on your child's casket and carry it to the gravesite, like something inside of you breaks, you know, there's, there's a piece of you that fundamentally changes because you're not supposed to do that. No man is supposed to carry his child's casket. Like your brain is not wired to handle that. No. So you can either break and, and just fall off into the things that are just going to numb your life for the rest of your life. Or you can go find some meaning. So find some meaning in your tragedy. Make it worthwhile. You know, what does it say about me if I let my daughter's death turn me into a useless human? I kind of negate her worth even almost to some extent. If I just use that as an excuse to be a worthless human, I'm not ever going to, to honor her in any way. But if instead I walk out every day and I get up and yeah, some days it still hurts. Most days it still hurts. Hell, for the first year, I just, I got up every day and had to relearn how to breathe. You know, just, just take a breath. That was, you know, you wake up and that's step one. But today that's such a different thing. I have used that pain and that, that difficult place in my life to forge something that's meaningful, that will change the world in a positive direction, that will make things better for other people. And that's really my goal is to find that meaning. Find something that's transcendent. And hopefully teach my kids how to how to handle their own their own struggles in the same way. Because truth is, is my kids are going to go through tragedy and struggle and drama, and I'm teaching them how. Yeah, man, it's it's a hell of a gift. I mean, if your teenage boy can come back and say it's all about choices, that is huge. Because, like I say, I come to that at forty-one. You know what I mean, 41 years old, you, you realize 
shit, I've actually got a choice. It's, it's down to me. I can actually change this or I can just keep doing my default setting. But to do that for a teenager or any, any young person, I think is game changing. You know, just the other day, because he's been through his fair share of struggles, you know, um, he, he went through some addiction issues after that even. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we even put him through a full-blown rehab program, and he's doing much better now. But we were having a conversation just the other day um, on the phone, and, and he says, you know, Dad, you know, you talk about all this stuff, and I get it, and it's, but it's, he says, you're 41. I said, I'm only, I'm only 18. I went through this stuff when I was 14 years old. And I said, I know. <laughs> I know. And it's, 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 it's hard. And I get that. But here's the thing is you're talking to me like you're having to go through this stuff 20 years early and that's, that's a problem. I went through it 20 years too late. You've learned it 20 years early, man. You've got a huge advantage here. Don't, don't look at it and complain that, Hey, this, I'm too young for this. You have the advantage of learning these lessons way earlier in life than I did. And you have the chance to move forward so much further than I did. You know, just hold on to that side of it because you can look at it either way, but perspective makes all the difference. And, and yeah, 100%. Definitely. I mean, uh, it's, it's, for me, it's all about being able to shift your perspective to one of what can I, like, you, you, you spin it for yourself and frame it for yourself your own way. And I always look to do that too, even though sometimes you get stuck in the emotion of it and being able to stand back and just think, okay, this is really rough, but it, I'm going through it for a reason. What can I extract from it? Like you say, you know, to honor, to honor your daughter and stuff. I've never gone through anything like that. And, you know, kudos to you for being so reflective and being able to put those things into place, you know, cause a lot of people could get, just get consumed, you know, and, and, and able to process their emotions. Absolutely. And I still struggle with that, honestly, you know. Um, you know, I, we have an, an appointment tomorrow and, and my wife and I, we, we still go see a guy, right? I've, I've got a guy who has recommended me to me. Actually, the guy who set up the masterminds, um, if you remember Larry Hagner. Yeah. Um, he, he, I, I live like 20 miles that way from, from Larry. Uh, cool. And he, he recommended a guy to me and the, the guy has been just a genius and has helped us out a lot with stuff, you know, and he does work with, with marriage counseling and with grief counseling. And, and so we go see him at least once a month. And he has helped my wife and I so much, you know, just learn to process through some of these things because, man, there's not a right way to process through the loss of a child. Yeah. It's such a struggle, but he's, he's really helped us. So one of the big things is just learn how to go, Hey, I think I need some help. I don't know how to do this. I walked into this and I didn't know how to do it. It's obvious. I didn't know how to do it, you know, because my choice was, was to do it with some makers, Mark or knob Creek or Jack Daniels or something. Right. And to find somebody who has some knowledge and go, Hey man, I need help and ask for help. That was the biggest step is just being willing to ask for help from somebody who knows more than I do. And Oh man, that, that's made such a difference because like I say, you know, tomorrow it's, it's been four years since she passed and tomorrow's our, our monthly meeting, you know, and I, we still go and, and spend some time to talk with somebody who helps us process through things. Because honestly, one of the big struggles I have, is in the process of all the alcohol that I drank 
and all the emotions that I killed. One of the things I think I killed was my ability to have fun, like to just sit back and, and laugh out loud and actually enjoy myself. And I still struggle with that. I struggle with that pretty hard. And it, it, that one bothers me a lot because one of the things I, one of the places I identify with is, is who my dad was and, and the pieces of me that, that people rec- re- say, you remind me of your dad when you laugh, right? And I, I don't laugh that much anymore. And that bothers me because that was a big piece of who he was. He loved to laugh. You know, he was always joking and poking and fun and, and having a good time. And, and I've kind of lost some of that. I'm working on trying to figure out how you get that back. Yeah. You know, yeah. but it it's all in the choice that I can make. I, I have to choose to go struggle after that thing again. You know, realize what you're missing and go, go, go freaking find it. Yeah. I resonate with that. I, I, I really do because there was a point where I become aware that I was I was different. And, I, and, it, and it sort of goes with being a parent. It sort of goes with all the extra responsibility you've got, you know, to provide for family. But at the same time, it's funny how um, you can you can ram um, emotions down or feelings of you know being unfulfilled and discontent. But then our man, it sort of sucks something away, and then it be something else takes over you because those emotions, you know, because you can't express, or I, I, I know I didn't, I didn't allow myself to express or feel my emotions. Now, I, I don't want to go on a, you know, a, a feely feely type of conversation, but as men, we're taught from a very young age: suck it up, be a man, you know, and then we we're surrounded by the 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 society beliefs of what a man is, you know, and these are these are beliefs entrenched over years and years. Where, you know, our, our grandfathers and fathers' fathers, they were they were different men to what it is to be a man now, you know. And there's a reason that they turned to drink. I mean, your fa- your story of your father and the fork. My father's got similar stories, you know, and it's crazy the same thing because alcohol was involved again. You know, we because, need to evolve. Because there were there were guys who grew up with men who were told to, to man up. Yeah. Just, you know, that that's what their version of a man was. And I think the struggle that I think they were dealing with was figuring out how to deal with, with the emotions and the anger. I think because anger is a secondary emotion, right? Like, like you're always angry because. Yeah. You know, you're angry because you're frustrated. You're angry because you're hurt. And... They're, that generation of men weren't really dealing with the because part, right? They were just angry, so you had to deal with their anger. And that's one of the things that I really struggled with for quite a while after it was just, I mean, the anger and, and the, the rage that was, I, I honestly, I think that was a good part of the of the, the alcohol abuse. You know, I was drinking because it kept the anger at bay. It kept me from doing anything that, that was going to land me in jail. Kept you numb. Yeah, because, I mean, like, I, I'm I'm not going to lie. Some of the, you know, some of the, like, birth parents, uh, you know, her birth parents were, were both addicts, which show up at the children's hospital, high as can be. And, I mean, the... Then you, and if you've ever dealt with addicts, you know that there's a whole bucket of extra baggage that comes with that i mean the urge to go do something unkind and and hurtful and you know was was pretty strong 
you know i mean when when you hear the phrase murderous rage you know that's it sounds interesting in a book or in a novel or a story or something but like i know what that means i know what that means and my choice was to was to kill it kill it with alcohol because i felt like that was the only thing i didn't know how to deal with that stuff hell i'm not even going to say that now i necessarily know how to deal with that stuff uh i've learned quite a few quite a, quite a bit over the years and and the one thing I find now is that when I look in those stories, when I see where they're at right now, because they're both still, you know, dealing with addiction issues. And now I look at it and I think I've come to the point of pity. I don't necessarily feel sorry for them because their choices put them where they're at. They chose to put themselves where they're at. But I look at it and rather than allowing myself to go to the place where I'm angry and full of rage and hate. I go, gosh, damn, that's got to be a hard place to live. They are going through some nasty, nasty stuff, some places that they put themselves that I can't imagine trying to, trying to walk through those places, you know, that, and I, you know, I, I was well on my way with, with the bottle and I made the one choice the one day to hear the right thing at the right moment and say, Hey, there's, this is time to, make a change in my life, a pretty substantial change. Mm. And that one change has made all the difference. You know, if it hadn't been for my wife, that, that one fateful day, I, I don't know where I'd be today. I know I wouldn't be here, you know, because, you know, at the time we were living in a little rundown place out in the country and, um, you know, kind of some stuff falling down around our ears and I wasn't fixing anything that needed to be fixed. I was drinking alcohol, you know, I was drinking whiskey. You know, I couldn't be bothered to fix the hole in the floor. I had a bottle of whiskey to drink, kind of that that sort of mentality. And and over the last several years, one of the things that I've learned is that when you start making right choices, good things tend to tend to follow. And you know, I was actually in a mastermind as as well, probably in a similar similar time frame. And we were talking about finances one day, and. and Jason McKenzie, if, if you know him, he, he said to me, um, he, he said something to me that was such a short thing, but was so very profound. And, and I was talking about, you know, how I grew up around finances and, and kind of the scarcity mindset. We were poor growing up. My dad was a cop and, you know, my mom worked in the lunchroom and, you know, and, and how I'd seen it tear apart our family and this, that, and the other thing. And, and he said, <clears throat> I didn't want to let that happen to my family, you know, let finances do that. And, and I didn't want to let money cause all these problems. And he goes, and if you know Jason McKenzie, yeah. I do. Uh, okay, good. So, so you'll understand that this is very much a Jason McKenzie statement. He says, well, well I, I get what you're saying, man. I get what you're saying. But, but you keep telling me what you won't let money do for you. But what the fuck will you let it do, man? <laughs> and I'm like, like that, that question right there was like so simple, ridiculously simple. But it was kind of an eye-opener. And I'm like, huh, I hadn't really thought about it that way. It was kind of the same shift as when I looked at alcohol, like, like, how does it serve you? And I'm like, wait a second, wait a second. I've been looking at what it, what it does to kill, you know, kills all this bad stuff for me. But what good does it? It's kind of learning how to see the other side of it. And in that, in the next, I'd say four or five months, um, 
I, I did a few, a little bit of looking at, at my finances and went, you know, we're probably really could be a lot better off than we are. If I, number one, if I quit drinking because I was, I was spending enough money on alcohol to, to buy a Harley motorcycle at least once a year, you know, I went, okay, that's, that's one thing. Um, and we, there, there's a lot of things we can do to change. And well, the house that we had driven past for like 10 years, we lived in this place for 10 years. Every time we went home, we'd go past this house. And my wife would always point and say, I like that house. I want that house. That's my house. That's my, to the point where in our conversations, if the kids mentioned mom's house, they did not mean the one we lived in. They meant the house she pointed at. And within a couple months after that conversation with Jason, uh, we drove by and there was a sign in the yard. We were actually actively looking at moving. And there was a sign in the yard that said for sale at that house. And my wife says, my house, it's for sale. And I said, I'll go back and get the number tomorrow. And um, she said, no, we'll turn around and get it now. And I did. <laughs> and you know what? Within two months, we were in this house right here that she, she'd called her own house for 10 years. This is her dream house. It's a beautiful old 1905 built house with just all the old, the charm of a big old house. And she, she loves the place and always had. But all it took was somebody to point out, hey, man, change it, shift your perspective a little bit. Just shift it just, just a little bit here and look at it from a slightly different angle. And the power of that is so amazing because once you move your perspective, you can change the choices that you're making and go, holy cow, like my life could be so different. And you start to own those choices and watch your world get better, watch your life change. And now that I've learned that, I have the opportunity, you know, I have seven kids. There's still six of them sitting here on this earth. I have the opportunity to teach that to six different kids and they can hopefully learn it by the time they're 20, 25 years old and be so much further ahead than I was on this. You know, see, I, there's this idea that we want our kids to have more than we had, right? Like, like I didn't have the cool clothes growing up. I didn't have the nice, whatever. No, man, I, I don't care if my kids go to school in, in Walmart clothes. <laughs> I don't care. I mean, what I want is for my kids to understand that mind shift, mindset shift at a young age so that they can go out and be not just happy in life, but find some meaning in their life at a young age and see how that changes their world. So that when they hit 40, they're not just learning this stuff. They become experts at this stuff. Yeah, that's 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 what would really, really look like a legacy to me, I think. Yeah. Yeah. You said, dude, we're, we're so on so on the same level. It's, it's, it's crazy. It's like I met a kindred spirit. Yeah. The uh, and, and that's exactly yeah. I'd imagine most people want from their for their children, you know. Yep. Some people are stuck. And. and and I haven't got the the awareness or the I've had enough pain to want to change. I heard somewhere, and I, I would love to attribute the quote to somewhere. I think it might have been Dave Ramsey, if you're familiar with him, the financial yep. guy. Who I think that's where I heard it. I don't know if it's his quote original or not. But people change when the pain of same is greater than the pain of change. Repeat that. The people change when the pain of same is greater than the pain of change. When it hurts more to be who you are than it does to, to change something. And I think that's, there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. 
Because for me, where I first realized it was time to make some changes was when I was in a real painful place. And out of that pain has come a lot of change and a lot of growth and a lot of positive movement, you know, that, that will impact not only my life, but my kids and grandkids life. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're, you're, yeah, you're spot on me. Cause, um, my, 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 my awareness came and I, I didn't know where to turn, but I did know all my restrictions were in my head. Um, so I knew I needed help with the way I was thinking and, and other things. And I'd become ex- I, a long time, like 10 years before I'd been exposed to like NLP and I understood a little bit about it. And I thought, oh, I'll see if I know anybody in the area that does it. And oddly enough, there was a bit of synchronicity at work and uh, a guy who used to work where I currently work had left, become a trained hypnotherapist, had this t- toolkit of NLP that he uses. And one of the first questions he ever asked me was, what do you want? And then I proceeded for 10 minutes to tell him everything I didn't want. So he said, right, okay. This is similar to the money situation. So he says, <laughs> okay. He says, you just told me everything you don't want. I want you to tell me what you want. So I, I tried to put it in a positive and I started up. And within minutes, I was back to everything I didn't want. We don't tend to ask ourselves, what do I want? And I, and I found it crazy, super, super frustrating. The fact I couldn't frame it in the positive context, you know? If you, if you, I know that's similar to the money frustrations thing that you mentioned. Um, have you ever, have you come across anything like that? Oh yeah. Um, that, that's a conversation that in, in this process that I've been kind of going through this self discovery process, I was talking to my wife one day and, and her mom was an addict and she has been as long as she's known her, you know, her whole life. And, and I was asking her, you know, kind of, because some of the things I was learning, I was trying to figure out how to, you know, how to frame it in my own life. And I'm talking with her and trying to get her perspective on things. And I said, you know, who do you want to be as a mom? And the funny thing was, is that the person she kept coming back to was, I don't want to be her talking about her own mother. And, you know, and I'm kind of, I've seen that all over in my life. Like, what do you want? Oh, well, I don't want to be this. I don't want to be that. I, no, no, no. What do you, can we name the thing you want to be? And I think we, we don't name it necessarily because if I name it, if I say, I want this, you know, I want to go do this and I don't achieve it fully, then I feel like I failed. It's, it's a lot easier to not be something than it is to find something amazing to be. It's that, you know, that idea, shoot for the, the, the sun and, you know, and maybe you'll land in the stars. And, and I go, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. No, no, no. You just go, go out and look for what you want. Man, you work, your, you work your ass off to be that. And if you don't make it, if you don't meet perfection, congratulations, you're human. It's okay. You're going to fail. But, you know, it's, it's that old Teddy Roosevelt saying, you know, the, the, well, it was the speech of what is it? The, the credit goes to the man who stands in the arena with his face marred with sweat and blood, who dared greatly knowing that, you know, knowing that he, he couldn't succeed, he, knowing that he wouldn't win, but he still went out and fought valiantly. And I'm going to totally screw that quote up, but. No, I- <laughs> If if you know the one I'm talking yeah. about, I mean, like, like there's there's so much truth in that, and you'll find meaning in the journey of 
of chasing greatness. But don't get stuck on the idea that you're not going to be perfect because you're not. I already know that. (laughs) You're not going to be perfect at things and neither am I, but that's okay. You know, the, the true meaning comes from, from chasing the greatness. I like that phrase. I like that. That's a, that's a good, that's a good perspective to come from chasing the greatness. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? The fact that you can, we can, it's sort of like you say, a fear of failure, a fear of other people seeing maybe what we're going to try for. So then it's public. And then you've got other people's opinions. And, I, and I'm seeing all this this week with some, some things that's coming up for me on the side, the conversations I'm having with people. There's a lot of people holding themselves to standards they certainly wouldn't hold their best friends to, yet they hold themselves to them. Absolutely. You know? And uh, my son my son gave me the greatest gift ever when I, I mentioned I was talking about failing. And uh, I've been trying to convey this message that failing is not a bad thing, um, depending on your perspective again. Because like you said earlier, if you if you win on if there's two courses and you win and you fail, one one is one journey ends and the other one keeps going. Now, if you keep failing, you're moving forward as long as you can see the learnings within it. And I was trying to get this over to my son and I said, Oh, do you understand that you just gotta keep trying, keep plugging away, just you know, don't whatever happens, just don't stop. And he went, Dad, so it's quite blase. That, that is fine. I get it. He said, failing. He said, fail. Do you know what fail stands for? And I went, no. And, he, and this is like he was 11 then. He goes, it stands for first attempt in learning. I was like, oh, that's fantastic. He gets it. You know, and I was stressing out thinking, oh, I don't want him to be, I don't want him to be a quitter. I want him to understand that failing's fine and not to just stay stuck in, in this stuck in any situation because he's too afraid to have a crack. Yeah, I mean, look at Thomas Edison. What was it, 900 some odd attempts to make a light bulb before he he finally figured it out? You know, look at the Einstein learning model. You know, Albert Einstein, I believe it was credited with saying, you know, I I, I like it when I fail because I know I'm one step closer to the truth. Yeah. You, you, You know, we all have this idea that we're headed towards this thing called success. You know, we're headed towards this this pinnacle of, we're going to get there. We're going to make it. We're going to be there. I finally arrived. Look at who I am today. The truth is you'll never be there. You'll always have flaws. You'll always look in the mirror and see that one little freckle, you know, on the, on, on the side of your face somewhere that nobody else sees, Just, you know, that, that bothers you. You know, you'll always know that your ears are a little bit bigger than they should be or, or you know, you're, you're, you'll always have something to look at, something to criticize yourself on. The truth is you'll never you're never going to make it. You're never going to get to that point of perfection. What you are going to do, if you really want to like enjoy life, is you're going to realize that the journey is what matters. Enjoy that trip. Go, go reach for greatness and enjoy the journey. Find, find your successes and your failures. You know, realize that every time you fail, you learn something and not not beat yourself up because you did something wrong. Man, I learned something today. How about that? <laughs> yeah. You know, let's just use that as, as what we think about. It's, it's the, it goes back to the mindset. Do I see it as a, as a failure and that changes my value as a human? 
or do I see it as my ability to learn makes me a worthwhile person? Isn't it crazy how we can, we can go through and just keep, you know, running the same thought patterns. I mean, one of the things with, with what I do when I coach people is understand that the, the thoughts and the way they talk to themselves. And I recently said this to somebody this morning is thoughts run along neurons. So the saying goes, uh, neurons which fire together, wire together. And we were talking about positive affirmations and stuff. And I was trying to, I was trying to express the fact that if you're constantly thinking thoughts and you, uh, most humans default thoughts are not positive. They take you to the neg- negative and fear based. And if you're constantly running those negative thoughts, um, for example, like my mother, who, who won't go to beautiful places for the beach because she's worried about tsunamis. She, she's constantly running those negative emotions and things in her head. And it become more and more entrenched and easier to think. And it's not until you get to the point, well, you know, is, is that serving me? <laughs> We're back to the belief thing and the mindset thing again. Until we actually address it. I mean, yeah, it's great to have that awareness. Um, but it, if it's not, if it's keeping you stuck and safe, then are you living life as fully as you can possibly be living it? Absolutely. Here, here in the U.S., we, we, and I don't know if they have it over there in the U.K. so much, but, but, but there's like a kind of a subculture group of people known as preppers, right? Yep. Now, are you familiar with preppers? Okay. So, so the the basic idea being that you're trying to prepare for this horrible, you know, whatever it is that you see coming. And there's TV shows about it, and I've watched a couple of them. And, and it's amazing how, you know, some of the things that these people have convinced themselves that this is what they're preparing for. And one guy is maybe preparing for a global economic shutdown. One guy is, you know, preparing for, for some sort of terrorist attack. So one guy is preparing for, you know, for food shortages. And, and it's, it's exactly like what you said, you know, it's like they, they've replayed this, this thought process in their mind so many times that they're convinced that this is what's going to happen. And they live their whole life chasing this, this fear-based decision. They've decided the world's going to be this thing that's something to be afraid of. So I have to spend my whole life preparing for this horrible thing to, that, that's, that's going to happen. And it's all based around that fear. And the truth is, is that today alone, well, probably thousands of people will die, right? Who have, who, who won't exp- have ever experienced global financial shutdowns or global food shortages or nuclear war or, you know, almost no one will experience those things. The truth is, is that what everyone can experience today is something beautiful. Even in the darkest of times, that's what you can experience today. So which one do you choose? Do you choose to chase that fear? Or do you choose to find beauty in your life? Find meaning in your life? Make your existence something that's worthwhile that will change the course of human history. Because you can do that too. Or you can go build a concrete bunker underground where you can live forever and ever, amen, until you die with, you know, with the, the three people who don't die from whatever horrible disaster you're afraid is coming. And you have this bunker in your backyard that your neighbors don't know about, or maybe they do and they all think you're the crazy guy who has a concrete bunker who's afraid of everything in the world. You know, which one of those is your goal? I'm not saying don't prepare for, you know, because bad things are coming. That, that's true. 
like something bad's going to happen in your life and mine, right? So we, we do things like we put savings aside so that, so that when the transmission breaks on the car, I can still, you know, I can pay to fix it and go to work. Right. So, I mean, there's, there's some common sense things, but man, it's, it's, where do you, where do you put all of your energy? Do you put it in the things that you're probably going to deal with like that? Or do you put it in, in these things that you have all this fear around, you know? And I'll tell you, once you, you buried a child, the, the thought that wants to come and run rampant through my mind is what if it happens again? Right. And how do you what, process that? The human mind is not wired to deal with the loss of a child, right? Like, like we, we, we know this. It's just not wired for that. There's a reason for that. It's not common. It's not something that we deal with on a regular basis. I mean, and, and yes, there are people who, you know, where, where the wife has, was at home and the, the husband was out in the car with the, with all the kids and some tragedy happened in the car, you know, car was caught up in an accident and she lost her entire family, right? You know, there's a father who's dealt with that. I'm sure, but it's not a common thing. And as much as the fear wants to jump in and say, Hey, you should be afraid of this. You should be afraid of this. I have to make the choice that I know it's not, I know it's not likely. It's not even probable. The most probable thing is that I will live out to old age and, and my children will, will all bury me. And that's the most probable thing to happen. So I'm going to live my life with that in mind because, because I make the choice. If I, do I live in fear? And make my whole family miserable because of my fear. Or do I, I, I set my fear aside. You know, do I find the courage to set it aside? Because courage isn't, isn't a lack of fear. It's being willing to take action in fear. So do I set my, set my fear aside and make this life something that my, my family can enjoy? Do I, I set an example for my kids that will change their lives? Do I do all the things that could possibly make the world a better place? Knowing that there's an off chance that, I mean, it's possible the house could burn down and the whole family could be lost. That, that's a possibility. It's not a probability. I'm not going to live my whole life based on that fear. Because if I do, I make everybody around me miserable and my existence was more or less worthless. Yeah. And I, I can't have meaning in that. I can't have meaning knowing that every choice I make is makes me kind of a, a worthless non non human. I'm I was just this guy who was scared of everything and gave my kids all kinds of neurotic beliefs and, and made them afraid and, and I can leave that as a legacy too. Because I'm gonna leave a legacy. Any way you cut it, I'm gonna leave it. So I may as well work hard to make it something that's worthwhile to where my kids can look back and say, you know, I learned so much from my dad. Yeah. He really helped me. He, he helped me get to the place I am today. You know, and, and I, I just keep remembering that every choice I make affects the legacy that I leave my kids. And, and that's how I, how I can process through that because, because I have to choose not to live based on fear. And that's not an easy choice to make some days, but it's a choice I have to make. Yeah, you mentioned um, living with meaning a couple of times. Have you read the book um, by Viktor Frankl? I have not. 
I know the I know the one you're talking about. I have my audible cue is about this long, <laughs> and that's definitely one that I want to put in there um, because I know the basic story, and I I think the little pieces that I've heard about it sounds like it's it's probably very much what I've what I've been learning. Yeah, I think you. you when you read it, you will see many similarities to your, to your own journey. You know, the frame framework rather than situations. You know, and how he's how he how he applied it is basically what you've done to get where you are currently. And the fact that you can you can do over well overcome and and get through what you've gotten through. It's it's funny how we can go through life, and we're there's certain key milestones on our journey, whether it's uh, you know graduation and, and then you know first uh, first house and you know first child. These 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 things are spanning like decades, and we're missing. And you've touched on it yourself about the, the journey itself. You know, it's like why would we just focus on those key moments, key mo- milestones that we can look back or forward to and think, oh yeah, I can't wait till that. When every day it's a case of I get up and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm glad I, I just woke up. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I get to do something today. And then I, and then I, you know, I get to kiss my kids in the morning. You know, this, 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 this so simple things, but we, be, because it's the day, we become so used to them being there and then we lose the gratitude. And then it's not until, you know, severe things come across like the things you've had to experience that we fully understand. And talking to people like yourself that, you know, you've shifted my perspective today on what I should be grateful for. And it's, you know, having these open, honest conversations where we get to share this with other people is this, this legacy being left there. So we, we don't actually know during this conversation who or how we're going to impact someone else. You know, that's, that's a hundred percent right. You know, and, and the waking up with gratitude thing. Well, I get up at two o'clock in the morning. I don't wake up with gratitude. You say, you know, I climb out of bed and I'm grouchy and groggy most mornings. Right. But I'll tell you what I learned. The, the little one who came in here earlier and sat on my lap with the biggest smile, right? Like that, that, that young man was born addicted to meth, right? Like he spent his first two weeks of life on a methadone weaned down. Every night he would twitch so hard in his sleep that he would wake himself up. We would have to wrap him up in, in a little swaddling cloth. We found some that had like some fairly powerful Velcro. And you would Velcro him in as tight as you could without squeezing the air out of him just so he could sleep through the night, right? Like, like he, he had a rough start. This little guy, on the days when I'm off, I go upstairs and wake him up. And because he would twitch so hard in his sleep, he got the, the nickname of Twitch. And so I, I'll go upstairs and, and I'll say, you know, walk in the bedroom and, hey, Twitchy, how you doing, buddy? And, and here's the most amazing thing, right? Like, he's been through some tough stuff. Like, he came off of meth as a newborn. Like, most people can't do that as an adult, right? So he, he went through some tough stuff there. But he'll wake up when I, when I wake up. Hey, Twitchy, he'll wake up and immediately the smile goes across his face. And he wakes up laughing. He is that happy. And I'm just like, I got to figure that, that, that out. This child has something figured out that I don't know. At four years old, he knows something I don't know. Just watch him laugh. He laughs with his whole body. 
he knows how to enjoy something. He's, he fully engages in joy. And I look at that and go, wow, I lost that somewhere along the line. I need to find that back. Because if a four-year-old can do it, my God, shouldn't a 40-year-old be able to figure that out, right? Yeah. And he does that every day. That's a piece of who he is as a human. And it's, it's amazing because he hasn't been discarded by the things in life, right? He hasn't made poor choices but based on, on, uh, on his life situations. Well, I'm, I guess he has because he's four. Yeah. But, I mean, he hasn't made big life choices that's, that have damaged him. And, and man, that's, that's part, of, part of who he is as a human. That's how he's wired. We can all find a way to be that happy. I don't know if you can find that at two o'clock in the morning. I'm working on it. But like to wake up with that much gratitude, to look at the world around you and just laugh because I'm alive. Look at this. Look at what's in front of me today. Like he sees a world of possibility. And through our, our struggles and our troubles and the problems in our life, we, we, we have this mindset, this fixed mindset that says this is bad. And we start to look at life as, such a bad place sometimes and, and we lose that ability to look at it and go, wow, look at all the challenge in front of me. Look at all the opportunities in front of me. I can go have so much fun. Yeah. We, we can, we can get there. I'm sure of it. Oh, hundred percent. But why don't we? Uh, I don't know. I think, I don't know. I mean, I, I can resonate with what you're saying with smiling and my kids have told me, a few years back, you don't laugh much. You don't smile much. And this is, was, was all part of the, you know, the thing of wanting to change. Um, so for me, as I, I try to be more aware of when I'm in that state, because as you said, also happiness is, you know, is, is, is transitory and it? it's, it's a state, it's a state of being, it's not permanent as is the depression or feeling low. There's states. So once I become aware that I'm in a heightened state or I'm in like joy, I try to bring awareness to it and I I allow myself to feel it. And then I look for that feeling elsewhere backwards and I'll try and think, okay, so I'm feeling this now. And then, okay, last week I was, what was, what was I doing? And I'll start to connect the dots then. And then I'll look, for those moments of joy, happiness, gratitude. And I'll think, how can I implement more of that in my life? For a very basic example, last night uh, or yesterday, before we went out, I watered the plants. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if you grow your own fruit and veg, but when I was watering the plants, it's, it's, it's quite meditative. Uh and it's just really relaxing. I thought, yeah, I don't usually get a chance to do it because my wife is usually straight, <laughs> straight on that bit. But I was really grateful just to be able to go around with a hose pipe and just, you know, water the plants and just, just, just do it. Because the act of doing it was, for me, was quite joyous. And I thought, yeah, I got to get more of this in my life. And I think when we're in life and we're on the wheel and we're We've got to do this and we've got to do that. And, you know, and there's all these distractions from the side. I think the noise can take over and the default setting of, you know, having to provide and do the things we have to do rather than being very intentional with our time 
and appreciating that as parents, we can't give as fully as we as we're possible if we're giving from an empty cup. Absolutely. One of those things, I forget who it was. It was, um, was, I want to say it was somebody in in one of the uh, mastermind groups um, who talked about that. You know, you you have a choice. You can either try to try to pour out of an empty cup and you're, you're just barely going to dribble anything out or you can fill that, fill your cup intentionally, fill your cup to the point that it's overflowing and, and then you can you can give what's what's poured out over the cup and into the saucer. You know you you can give away from your saucer, or you can try to give from an empty cup. And one of those you know looks like looks like generosity, and the other one ends up looking a lot like resentment. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Do you see, you know it, it sounds like do you see all these things I do for you kids? You know, I go to work, I spend all this time at work. I, you know, I buy you this, I buy you that, blah, blah, blah. You know, because you're given from an empty cup at that point, you're giving out of, out of guilt or, or whatever reason it is that you've decided you have to do these things for, for other people. Or you can, you can find your own joy, do something to fill yourself first. You know, for, and for me, it, it really is the, you know, the blacksmithing is a, is a thing that helps fill my cup, right? One of the, one of the meditative processes that I found is to go heat up a piece of metal and start beating and banging, right? And turn something from a piece of gray metal into a thing of beauty, you know, and, and go find, go find something amazing that you can create. You know, maybe that's, for me, that's a big thing. It's a creative process. It's, it's very therapeutic for me. Yeah. Well, you know, creative arts is great. I mean, that's, that's something I lost contact with a long time ago when I was very into like um, arts and crafts and, needlework, cooking, you know, all this sorts of creative stuff in school. And I, I wanted to pursue it as, as, a, as a higher level education until a teacher said, that's great. Well, you're going to be a, a, a PE teacher or a history teacher or an art teacher or a history teacher. Because if you tend to do art or anything creative, you usually pair it with something practical like history. And that just completely messed me up. I mean, I was an, I've been an aircraft engineer for 25 years and I've recently shifted this year to a uh, same, same company, different position. And I've, I've come off the tools, but all the things you just said, given uh, the res- with the resentment of, I do this for you. I do that for you. That was me seven months ago, eight months ago. And then you thank you for this because I've never acknowledged this for myself since I've been in this new role I'm going to work and I'm looking forward to the work and I haven't once said do you realize you know I'm doing this for you I'm doing that for you and I think that's me filling my cup do I mean I'm filling my cup in a way that makes me happy but I'm still going to work because you're doing this for you yes and you're giving out a generosity on top of it yeah. Yeah. And yeah, it's, uh, don't, this is another aspect to this. Like it, the, the happiness and the discon, uh, the happiness for me was huge and, and the realization that I wanted something else going after it was shit scary. I mean, it terrified me purely because of the money situation that goes with it. I mean, it was a, it was a hell of a, it's a hell of, it was a hell of a drop to hit the family with. 
but we all sat down and going back to being stuck on a hamster wheel and, you know, providing for your family, I made them all away and I applied for this job four or five times, three, three of those last year. And, uh, I said, look guys, if I get this job, this is what it'll mean. Do you know what I mean? And, and this is what it'll look like for us. It's not going to be easy. And, and basically the kids were like, well, yeah, but do you think you'd be happier in that role? And I said, yeah, I seriously do. And, and I am. And for kids 13 and four, uh, 14, 13, okay, the little one's six, so he was just going with the flow probably. And, and my wife to then buy in and say, well, you know, if, if you think you'd be happier doing it, she's like, she's all in. Let's do it. Just do it. You know, we'll manage. We, we, we've, we've just reduced our TV package and we've cut all the crap like you did. That didn't need to be there. It's all superfluous. It's all stuff. And it's crazy how much stuff you don't need. Absolutely. You know? And like to the point where like managing now is all the, I'll give you another example. So the other day we were going on holiday and uh, I said, oh, you saved this money. And I said, now we've got to use that chunk of that money to go on this holiday. And I said, I don't really want to do that. And they were like, okay. So they went upstairs. They all disappeared. And I thought, okay, the conversation is still going. Everyone's just gone out the room. And I go upstairs and on the, all on the landing, the, the kids have basically scalped their rooms. So they got box sets of books, games they don't use. And I said, what's going on? eBay. You're going to put it all on eBay <laughs> to make this money to take away. I thought that's fantastic. You know, the fact that they can realize they can make money and we can still have that buffer that we don't want to lose. You know? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's funny you mentioned that we're actually, um, what is today? Sunday morning. Um, we're supposed to leave on Saturday this coming Saturday. And then, uh, cause I live in Missouri, so I'm kind of the middle of the United States here. And, um, my wife through her, her troubled youth had an aunt who was always a safe place. She'd show up in the summertime and take her on vacation with her and and um, she just, she was a good, safe place, a, a good human being and for a little girl who had a, a really tough spot in life. And um, and so she lives up in New York now. She's up in uh, Rochester, New York. So she's up in kind of upstate New York, away from the city and all that, up by Niagara Falls. And, and we're going to take the family up and go spend some time up and, and let her, you know, re- have some time to really reconnect with her aunt a bit and, and go visit all these new things in different places and and that, that's a piece of, you know, because one of the things I figured out that I was missing in my life was adventure. Mm. Like, I, I didn't have adventure in my life. It was get up, go to work, come home, tired most days, because, you know, like I said, this was a 65-hour week, you know. it's Yesterday I came home, I was like, like dragging a foot behind me. I'm like, I, if I just move one leg, it's half the energy I have to use, right? I was exhausted. So, you know, <clears throat> so, you know, we're, we're going to go spend some time and, and just recharge, refill our cup, and, and go go do some 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 fun things, and, and go chase some adventure. Um, you know, a, a buddy of mine who I, I was in the army with, uh, he he lives up in uh, up around Dayton, Ohio, and we're gonna stop and, and maybe visit with them for a little bit, and and go on up there. And it's just I look at it the same way as an adventure, and it's it's the same way I chose to to frame the the trip to up to um, the Forged in Fire. Uh, set to go film that you know I went this is an adventure and as long as I can frame this 
as an adventure and I don't have expectations of we're going to go to Niagara Falls, we're going to have fun there, right? Because if you have kids, you know that some days, some kids choose not to have fun <laughs> and they'll be mad no matter what. You know, they, they, I don't, that's not, my goal is just to go have an adventure. And if I can teach that mindset to my kids where they're not having these expectations about how wonderful this will be or how we're going to go do this one thing and that's the only thing that matters, we're just going to go have an adventure. And it allows so much room to be able to enjoy your time with one another. And that's, that's something that, that I've always had a challenge with. I'm a planner, you know, and a terrible one, but I'm a planner. I want to, I want to have, you know, we're going to leave at 7 a.m. We're going to drive for four hours. We'll stop at 11 a.m. for, for a bathroom break at this town. And then we're going to, you know, I, that's, that's how I live my life, right? I drive for a living. So I know where I'm going to stop. I know that this is my plan deal here and, and it's it's really easy to find that out that, that makes me comfortable knowing that but there's so much joy that you can find in the adventure of the moment it allows you to to live in the moment yeah. because so much of our life is spent with that 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 negative voice you know uh, i i think of um how was my my 18 year old when he was young he was probably five or six and and I explained to him hey you've got this voice in your head and and he's kind of stupid you know he'll tell you stupid things all the time when you hear him telling you stupid things tell him to sh just shut up stupid and I, I would see him from time to time sitting there and you could see him you could see like you you know kids you can see their face when they they've got this plan working and, and he kind of shake his head and, shut up stupid and, and I was like wow he kind of gets it right and years later I, you, you learn the brain science behind it you know there's that that part of the amygdala that that just reacts to things. And sometimes you have to change that. And instead of you know, going, this, is, this isn't what I planned, this is wrong, this is bad, change is bad, I'm gonna have a negative reaction to this, I'm gonna fight this. Sometimes it's, it's so much better just to say, hey, this is an adventure. You know, well, I'm not running from a saber-toothed tiger today. I don't have to like, every, any little change in what's normal doesn't have to elicit fear. Yeah. You know, I have the potential to have a great day today and I'm going to be good at that at some point And I'm going to totally suck at that at some point. And I'm just going to try and be better more often than I'm not. And, and the more practice I have with that, again, it goes back to the fact that the more my kids see me be a little bit better, you know, 1% better today than I was yesterday at it. They're going to eventually see that and they're going to start modeling that. Cause I don't care what you tell your kids. If you don't model it, they won't see it. They won't, they won't do it. So if they see me model that, that changes who they become. And through my attempt to be a better person, I will change generations to come. And that's the power that I have. It's, that's my own little personal time machine. I get to change the future today. That's, that's fantastic, man. That's, I mean, yeah, I love it, and I, and I get it. And you're right; they do. They they only ever mimic your actions as opposed to your you know your words. Um, yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. I mean, I, 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 and what a you know what a gift, like you know. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, it's funny because when, when my son went off to stay with, with that friend of mine for for a couple of weeks. When he came back, you know, he, he lives a couple states away, so I met him a little ways out and drove home. On the way home, he said, he says to me, you know, Dad, Steve said basically the same thing you've been saying for years. But he said it in a way that I could understand it. 
And I went, yeah, because apparently I wasn't doing a great job of living it out, right? That's that's why I couldn't see it. That's why I couldn't understand it. But, you know, Steve was was not only giving him the words, and because it's not dead, he was willing to listen to the words a little bit more. But he also, has, he's, he's showing him how he's living it out. He's being intentional about that. And that's why I'm like, dude, you're a genius. <laughs> You've got something figured out that I'm still working on figuring out because when he could, he, he could hear it from him, partly because it wasn't bad, but partly because like he lives it out on a daily basis. And it's really, really clear. He, he lives it intentionally in front of people so that you can see it. And so his words have something behind it that have meaning. You know, when, when you tell your kids, look, you're, you're only, you're only 15 years old. Don't, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol. Don't do drugs. If you come home and crack open a beer and smoke a joint, guess what your kids are going to do? Yeah. Right. That that's, if your words don't align with your actions, they're going to follow your actions every time because your actions are your real values and your kids want to, your kids are going to be just like that in some way. And if they see your values, they might hear you say something. They see your values. They know what they are, and they follow that. You know, I, I train a lot of guys in my job, right, or I have in the past anyways. And one of the things I learned about, about people by doing that is one guy, he kept he told me the, the first couple of days, I, I heard a thousand times, all my problems, I work too hard, I work too hard, I, work, I put everything I have into work, I work too hard. And so we're right down the road, like we're going to the next place, and He's in the passenger seat, and before two miles from where we started to being on the interstate, within those two miles, he's up in the passenger seat, leaning back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you're kidding me, right? But, but that's all he talked about was how hard he worked. And then everywhere we went, he did nothing but sleep. You know, people, t- whatever, when people are telling you something, and kids learn this pretty young, I think, what people tell you about themselves is usually a lot. They're telling you what they want to be. Because they know subconsciously what their what their faults are, and we do that with our kids. You know, we tell them something, and then we act out something different, and we're surprised when they don't listen to us. Yeah, they're listening. Yeah. They're just listening to to our actions. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you touched you touched on that then because I was talking to somebody yesterday, and they're struggling with their weight. And uh, they were just sitting down to a full cup breakfast, which which over here it is um, fried fried bread, uh, uh, fried egg, beans, sausages, and bacon. So it's there's a fair few calories in a full cup breakfast. It sounds wonderful. <laughs> Even though I've never had fried bread, I'd try it. And uh, she's the, the the next comment that came out was, "I don't eat enough." I don't eat enough. That's my problem. I don't eat enough. I said, hang on, you're going to sit down to a full breakfast. Yeah, but I don't eat enough. I, I said, hang on a minute now. I said, you need to take a breath. And if, if, if you're willing to sit down and eat that cooked breakfast and still say, I don't eat enough, what are you telling yourself? Do you know what I mean? And, and I, think, I think the wheels were turning, but I didn't push it because I didn't want to cause any aggro. But uh, I just say it's crazy that it gave me a realization of the things we say to ourselves on a daily basis. And how many of those things are keeping us where we want to be versus, you know, keeping us where we are rather than where we want to be, you know? Absolutely. Because, again, your choices brought you to here, right here, right now, today. Your choices brought you here. 
you know, I am not a little guy, right? I am, I'm about six foot one, 260, 270, depending on the day, right? And I'm going to tell you, last night and late in the evening, my wife, she didn't have dinner with us. She, she wasn't feeling real well at dinner time. And, and she said, Hey, I'm going to run out and grab something. So she went over and bought some fast food. And, 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 uh, and of course I sent her a text, Hey, bring me ice cream. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> so nine o'clock at night, I said, I'm the second dinner and, and have, have a, a thing of ice cream with it. Right. Like, like I had actually a pretty reasonably healthy day. I probably had somewhere right around the 2000 calorie mark. Until that, yeah. <laughs> right? And, and that's the, until you can step back and, and have that perspective where you look at your life honestly. Like, why am why am I overweight? I know why I'm overweight. It's not McDonald's' fault. They didn't show up with the food, <laughs> right? I, I'm the one who sent her the text as she's driving down the road, right? I, I'm the one who who picks up the unhealthy thing. I, I'm the one who. You got me gas stations a lot, right? That's that's where my job takes me. So what do gas stations sell? They sell salt, fat, and sugar, right? And three things that are probably horrible to have in excess. And that's what's really available to me. And and so I always add that's, that's all I can find. No, it's not. No, it's not. I could I could cook up a, a nice, you know, couple nice pieces of chicken and have that prepared for the week. I could have some vegetables to go with it, right? That that would maybe be a great idea. I could I've got I've got a thousand excuses why I don't. Right? But the truth is, is that if I really don't like being the size I am, nobody can change it. Nobody but me. You know, if I don't like the place that my headspace is at, if I'm a negative guy all the time, nobody can change it. Nobody else can change it. I'm not angry because of something my wife or my kids have done. I'm angry because I've chosen to let anger be my response. And it's all about being honest with yourself and knowing, Hey man, this is what I have to own. Not because, you know, Hey, not because I need to sit down and say, Hey, going to the fast food place last night, that was bad choice. You shouldn't have done that. You know, the shame and guilt doesn't do anything. It just labeling it as bad. Doesn't do anything. Realizing that, Hey, this choice is going to lead me in this direction. You know, I could have gone, gotten up and gone to my kitchen and gotten a banana and eaten that. And yeah, there's a lot of sugar and some fat in that, but it's nothing compared to a fried fish sandwich and, and the ice cream and the, the soda. Like I could have made a better choice. Well, not even necessarily, but I could have made a choice that would lead me towards a healthier outcome if that's my goal. Yeah. And that's, you know, getting away from the, the labeling things as necessarily good and bad. You know, it's it's not necessarily good and necessarily bad. I mean, it's all about what's my goal. You know, do I want to die fat and happy? Because if that's what I want to do, then yeah, okay, let's go. <laughs> Biscuits and gravy and, and sausage and bacon and, and, and eggs and, and hash browns and fried potatoes. That that That's breakfast for, for the guy who wants to die fat and happy, right? Maybe that's okay for you if that's what you want. But if you want to be the guy who's, who's competing in a, in a, in a bodybuilding competition, maybe that's not the choice that's going to lead you where you want to be. And you should figure that out, but it's owning what we want. Like you said earlier, I have to know what I want first. What do I want? What choice will get me there? And I don't have to label everything as good and bad and then feel guilty and shame because I had something that I shouldn't have had. Or, Hey, this is, this is my goal. If this is going to be my goal, I'm going to behave like this is my goal. And when we don't know what we want, we don't have those goals in life. We just kind of let life happen to us. 
And then we can blame life because life did all this stuff to us. Life took my dad away. Life took my daughter away. You know, no, no, man, like that did happen, but you chose how you responded to it. You know, it's not my fault I, I became an alcoholic. Well, actually, it kind of is, right? Because like life, life gave me, you know, shoveled some shit on me there for a little while. But I chose, I chose my response to it. Whether I did intentionally or not, you know, there's an old Rush song, um, and I think it's Tom Sawyer. And the line of it in the in the song that I love is, if you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. Apathy is a choice. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Apathy is a choice. You choose to let things happen to you. And then you can feel like a victim. And then you can have this horrible life that's not your fault. But it is. <laughs> It still is. You chose it. We chose everything that brought us to this place today. And if I want to be somewhere different, I need to make different choices. I mean, if I really want to, that's what I'll do. Some people get so comfortable in that apathy, get so comfortable in the victim mentality, that they choose to live in that space. And I'm learning that, man, that's not a, it's not nearly as comfortable of a spot as, as it looks like from the outside. You know, I, I know that I've given up if I, if I give up and then I have to live with that. Then I don't get to be that man standing in the arena, you know, with his face is marred with sweat and blood. And there's, I don't know, there's something in us as men who, who want to be the one who is, who is striving valiantly towards something. That's when we come alive. When we know what we want, we go out and we fight. And we struggle and we push with everything we have towards something. Because win, lose, or draw, you still stood up and fought. You know, look, look at the, the movie, um, what was it, 300? Did you see that movie? Yeah. yeah. About King Leonidas, right? Like, like people watch that movie, right? And, and who's the hero in the movie? It's not Xerxes. Yeah. I mean, spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure he won that war. But everybody wants to be King Leonidas. Why? Because he stood up. And he said, let's go fight. Let's go against insurmountable odds. We're going to lose. Let's take everything we can to go lose this battle. Let's go, let's go lose this battle with honor. And I think that's a part of it. There's a piece of that, that, that we're wired to be honorable. We're wired to have integrity. We're wired to be men of courage. And when we choose apathy and we walk away from that, that does something inside of our brain, inside of our soul. It just, man, it leaves us, I guess, disappointed with who we are, maybe. And maybe that's not the right word. I don't know what the right word is. But until we go, like, like chase the good, you know, go chase that, that, that place in us that goes, this is who I feel like I want to be. If I was going to be the most amazing human I could possibly be, what would that look like? Now I'm going to go chase that. That's what it is. It's that journey of chasing it that brings us some meaning. And even when you you go to fight the you know the hordes of Xerxes with 300 guys, you still meet that need. That's what we're looking for in our life. Yeah, I think you're 100% right. And 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 you just you just described me three years ago, you know, comfort, uh, apathy, victim mindsets, fingers pointing, you know, 
the, a common phrase I used to use was, it's not fair. I, I don't think I've used that terminology for probably since I started in the mastermind. I, I wonder, I wonder if how you, you would define fair though. Cause that, that's, I think what helped me step away from it. What is fair? <laughs> when when I was thinking what fair was, it was an ex, my own expectations of what should happen. Uh, and I was probably measuring. It's hard, it's, the difficult bit now is going back to the mindset that I must have had at the time. Um, so I'm guessing it's my expectations of what should happen. It's the values I didn't understand that I had and expecting them from others without understanding their values as well. Yeah, that's, um, oh, I'm thinking of his name here in a second. Um, he wrote a book. It's called, uh, I think it's Dr. Glover, maybe. Um, the book was um, No More Mr. Nice Guy, and he talks about covert contracts a lot. Okay. Know, I expect these other people, you know, if, if I do this, then you're going to do that, right? We have this contract, except we didn't sign the contract. I never even told you about it. Right, that, that's half the problems in marriage. Right, if if I get up and, and go to, go to work every day, you know, I take care of this, this, and this. I expect you know that that if you know my wife's a stay at home, well, she's not anymore, but she used to be a stay at home mom, right? So I expect her to have the house clean, and dinner made, and I expect this and that and that. And, and you know what? I might not have told her about that. She doesn't know I expect that. So now I'm aggravated because she's not holding her holding up her end of the deal. If I come home and the, and the house is dirty, well, guess what? I have seven children. The house is never going to be clean for more than 30 seconds. Like 30 seconds from the time the last thing's put up, it's going to start to devolve. <laughs> and yeah. chaos. That's what kids do, right? So if I have this expectation and I never, you know, I never like, I never communicate that to her, right? Or at work, you know, if I show up at work and I do a good job every day, right? And I expect that you're going to pay me more on when it comes to the end of the year and we're going to talk about raises. You know, I expect that you're going to pay me more because I do an amazing job. Um, you know, my boss might not be aware of that fact. You know, maybe maybe they have like a, a scale and they only pay you this much. But I think if I work hard, I'm going to get more. And when I don't get it now, now that didn't happen. Man, I've worked hard. I worked harder than this guy. I'm making I'm making the same money as him, and I'm working harder. That's not fair. I should make more than that. And that drags me down into a rabbit hole, this negativity. And suddenly I'm upset with my boss and I'm upset with my job. And now what have I done? My job is a place I don't want to be. Not miserable at work because I'm pissy because I've done all this work. And I've done all this hard work and these other people aren't. And I'm making that same money as them. And, and But wait, 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 wait. You didn't have a contract with this guy that said, hey, this is how it works. You know, you just expected that to happen. And you have to learn to, to take those, find those covert contracts, because we don't usually even know where they realize that they're there. You have to find those contracts and burn them and realize that, man, I'm walking to this. I go to work, and do you know why I go to work and work hard? It's not so that I can make my boss more money. He's a wealthy guy. He's, he's not going to be hurt if <laughs> I don't show up and do my job every day, right? He, he's going to be okay. I don't do it. You know, for any reason other than because I want to live an honorable life. So I'm going to go to work and do the best job I can as often as I can. Yeah, I'll have days where I'm not as, as productive. I've got back issues and, you know, I hurt myself when I was in the army. So like every vertebra from about here down to my tailbone looks like that, you know, it's all 
you know, in a terrible place and I hurt every day. And, but I'm going to get up and, and go do the best job I can today, regardless of how I feel. I'm going to do the best job I can. Why? Because that's the man I want to be. So I can be an honorable man in my own eyes. And then if I don't get that extra raise, I wasn't honorable so that I could get a raise. I was honorable so I could be the man I wanted to be. It'd be nice if he gave me a raise. I'd take the, I'd take the raise. We all would, right? That's wonderful. But if I don't get it, I still have the joy of knowing that I am a man worth emulating. That I am, I'm showing this to my kids. They see me work hard, right? There's my real benefit. They get to see it. And I know they'll emulate it because that's what they do. That's what kids do. They, they do what we do. They learn from our actions. Yeah. And that's, that's what makes the big, the big difference there is, is learning to, learning to get rid of those contracts and not expect something from others, but to be able to walk forward through your life, knowing who you want to be, making that choice because that's who you want to be. Yeah. And everything else falls away. After, after, once, once you, once you get clear on the type of man you want to be, whether it's your values or how you want to be in the world, that's, that is what allowed me to be unapologetically me. And I could, because I'm coming from a pace of honesty and integrity, by that very nature, the way I'm living, I'm true to me and I'm doing, as I perceive, always the right thing. Do you know what I mean? So it sort of takes away then. I, I, I'm not out to, to hurt anybody, to deceive anybody or trick anybody because I'm doing what I think is the right thing. The intention is set that it's for good. You know? Intention is so much of it. You know, this is what, this is what I want out of this, mm-hmm. you know? And it's 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 what I want for me, not what I want from you. Mm. It's what I want for me. Yeah. And if I live my life for the things I want for me, for the things I really want for me, man, that's that's so much better than than expecting something from somebody else. Because people are going to let you down. Even my wife, I love my wife dearly. We've been together for a couple decades now. You know she's going to do something to aggravate me. She's going to disappoint me in some way at some point, right? We, and I'm going to do the same thing to her. Mm. But that's okay because we're human. We do that, right? But I'm living who I want to be for me. And that's part of what she loves about me. And that's part of what I love about her, you know, is is we're we're living life based on trying to be who we want to be, trying to be a better human trying to push forward and and having those goals set out ahead of us and not be angry at the world because it's easier. It's easier to sit back and be angry at the world. Yeah. I mean, she came from, from a tough place, right? She, her, her, she, she never really had any connection with her biological dad. You know, her mom was an addict growing up. And I mean, the stories she could tell, my gosh, I mean, like she's told me some stories that I sit back and go, how did you survive that long? You know, how did you make it through that? You know, at five years old, her, her brother, um, when her, her younger brother was born, the crib was in her room. She got up in the middle of the night and fed the baby at five. 
she changed the diapers as a teenager when he was a toddler. You know, she'd go to her friend's house. She'd put him on the handlebars of a bicycle and take her to her, take him to her friend's house with her because it was her job, right? She, she had lots of, uh, of tough stuff to grow up through, right? You know, she did not have an easy childhood. And she's got lots of reasons to be angry at the world. You know, and we all can find our easy re- our reason to be angry at the world because the thing is, is, you know, yeah, I've lost a child, right? And for me, that's a, that's the biggest thing that's happened in my life. That's it. They want to tell people all the time, I've already had my worst day, right? The day I grabbed the handle of that casket, I've had my worst day. But you've had your worst day too, right? We all have. And your worst day that you've had is no worse to you or no better than my worst day was to me. We only experience our worst and our best that we've experienced. I can't compare mine to yours. So we all can find that that place in us to be angry about something. You know, and I, I don't I don't know about over in the UK, but just watch, you know, social media now. It seems like everybody's looking for a reason to be angry here in the US, right? I, I can start an argument with, with, you know, two words, you know, vote Trump, right? <laughs> Half the people in the room are gonna like like be keep trying to kill each other, right? We, because we're, we're like looking for something to be angry about. And it only takes two words to be able to make people just show visceral anger towards one another. And it's, it seems like that's so much of what people are reaching for today. And I can choose that anger. I can choose to be, hey, man, I want to make a difference. I want to make something good. You know, it's easy to be angry. It really is. It's hard. It's hard to look for the good in the situation. It took me a long time after my daughter's death to be able to find something that I saw that's positive that could possibly come out of that. This is really hard to say, look for the good in your child's death, right? Right? That, that's a hard thing. Yeah. To, and, and dear God, don't ever say that to somebody who's lost a child because you have to come to that place on your own. But I can find some good that's come out of it. it it's not, I wouldn't have chosen it. I wouldn't have chosen it. A million times over, I wouldn't have chosen it. But that's what happened. And so that's what I've chosen. Yeah. And I can turn the evil into, you know, maybe not even evil. Maybe that's the wrong word. I can turn turn tragedy into me. Yeah. And that's the biggest lesson I've learned. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you've given uh, the audience plenty of food for thought there. Because uh, to me, that's... Yeah, that doesn't bear thinking about. Really doesn't. You know, and then it sort of puts everyone out. You know, gives perspective on the stuff we stress and gripe about, because there's always something worse. Right. (laughs) There's always some. I can always find something to complain about. You know, I I can always find something to be upset about, or I can find something to be happy about. Yeah. That's my choice. Absolutely, man. 100%. And I, and I have to own that. I mean, you put it in those words, it's, it makes you feel like kind of an ass if you're always looking for something to be angry about. <laughs> so maybe it gives you a reason to find the good. It's there. It's there. There's good in everything. Like you say, it's a choice. It is. It is. It's a hard choice sometimes, but it's a choice. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a part of owning it. I think that's the other part. Once you actually realize that you get to own 
and choose. Like that choice is, is your own to make. That's probably the biggest thing that ever set me free. Um, from my thinking, from myself, from my habits, from my actions. Realizing that. And, and, and again, that's a process. That takes time. You know, there's, there's lots of little things that'll happen and synchronicities that'll go on and conversations you'll have with people like yourself. And, you know, you, suddenly your, your map just starts to expand a little bit more and a little bit more. And, 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 you know, and it just keeps building out. And it's being able to do that with people is, I see, is a real, a real gift. Like, as in, it's a gift to receive. You know, that was one thing I've learned to do over time uh, since, since Arisa passed away is that, I think when you when you experience true tragedy and loss, or like, like I said, something fundamental breaks in you and has to be rewired, and you see it in other humans. And I see people sometimes, and, and I've struck up these odd conversations with people who I didn't know, and it's amazing how many times that in that conversation they'll say, you know, we lost our child when they were seven. You know, and you have the opportunity to say, you know, tell me about them. Tell me what happened, you know, and, and, and you can have a conversation with people that's so very meaningful and it's so powerful to be able to share your story with other people and have them share their tragedy with you. You know, it's, it's this human connection that you make that doesn't, it doesn't push you towards the anger. You know, it doesn't give me a reason to be angry. It gives me a reason to sit back and go, wow, we're on this, we're all on this rock in this, in this existence together, struggling together. You know, we're all, we're all going to, if we could all sit in the boat and all row in the same direction, my God, we might get somewhere, you know, but learn to communicate that story and talk with people, man. It's, it's a powerful thing because we all have our story. We all have that story of some of what's changed our lives and how we can change someone else's life. Absolutely. And if we work towards that, instead of the anger, instead of the Facebook memes and rants and, and, and hate speech and, and all that, man, we, we could be so powerful together. I mean, hate and anger has brought us the hydrogen bomb. What would it we do if we could work together? I mean, it, it, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a fantastic place to sort of start winding this up because if we could imagine a world, like you say, the H-bomb, you know, and, and as countries working on their own to create destruction, I wonder how many people have actually stood back and imagined what they could do with, you know, alternative feelings to hate and anger. Absolutely. You know, if, and that, that's something I think I've learned with the journey with the kids, you know, the foster kid system, right? It's really easy to hate the parents, right? I mean, I, I've heard stories that I have to struggle with with the, the negative emotion that comes out of it, you know, to, to have these kids in your home and, and live with these kids and know the horrible things that these people have done, you know, and our job isn't necessarily to hate them. I'm, there's a couple of people I've met that I'm not going to have a whole lot of love for. I just, I can't get past what they've done. Right. But you know what I can do? I can hand that, that love. I can hand that, you know, that those good lessons, life lessons, to kids who've who've been through some struggles, who've been through some hard times, I can change their life. I can do something positive, you know. One one young lady, she was 
she was the worst case of abuse as, as a mother. She was a mother. Um, the worst case of abuse that this county had seen in over a decade, right? And, and the little boy, <laughs> he's tattooed on me here, him and his sister both. Um, like, all it took for him and I to be the best friends in the world. Like, he went from being scared and, you know, obviously, he just showed up at this house. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know anything. He's never been pulled out of his mom's house like this before. You know, it's a brand new experience to him. I made a buddy for life by getting him a glass of water. Right. And, and we were good buddies. Come to find out she was angry at him. She was angry. He, he, he apparently had ruined her party life by being born. And so she would withhold food and water from him. She would abuse him physically in ways that is just makes you want to hurt people. You know, like this woman doesn't deserve to live if she can do this to such an innocent child. He was the most amazing little boy. And then to watch him from, turn from this scared, terrified little boy over the next year and a half into the most amazing little guy who you never would have known what he'd been through. You couldn't see any traces of it left in this, in this behavior. It was amazing to watch. And by, I, it all started with a glass of water. And I'll be honest, he really restored a lot of my faith in humanity because I went, look, look at what he's been through. Look at what he, he can change that into. Look how far he's come. Yeah. He and and he was how old was he? he was three, I want to say, when he showed up at our house. Yeah, he was about yeah, he was about three, a little over, you know, three and a half, something like that. And that he taught me so much just watching him. The first time I saw him, we were in a store and he got he you know, because he would sit on my shoulders all the time. As a matter of fact, um when uh I had somebody Give this to me because this is, this was like a little figurine they found that this is like, this is a story of my life, right? I always have a kid on my shoulders, you know, but you know, he, he would ride on my shoulders everywhere he went because he was terrified. He was terrified of the world. It was a scary place. Mom does horrible things to you. What's the rest of the world going to do? And the first time I set him down on the ground, you know, so I could pay for something in the store, he starts running in a circle, kind of playing on the floor. And, and, and I'm like, I'm looking at him like, kind of crazy I know the cashier's like oh it's okay he's you know there's nobody in here he's just I'm like no you don't understand he doesn't do this like he's terrified of the world the fact that he's on the floor playing is amazing to me right and, and then she kind of stepped around the corner and she goes hey buddy and she kind of kneels down on his level and normally he would run to me and all but like monkey climb up onto my shoulders immediately and I started to say you know he, he's a shy kid because he was just terrified like he stopped and he looked at her and then he smiled and you could have knocked me over with a feather. Cause I've never like, I haven't seen this behavior in a year from him. Mm. And she was, she was totally clueless. She had no idea what kind of a moment she was in the middle of. Right. She was just showing a little kindness to a little boy, but I'm like, Holy cow. This kid was frightened, terrified of the world six months ago. And he's, a, he's engaging with a total stranger and feeling safe enough to play in public. Like watch that turnaround and you go, wow, we can, we can make it do some shit. We can get through some really tough stuff and we can come out the other end a better human for it. It's powerful, man. I mean, that, you, you saw somebody transform. That's what you're doing. That, that's it. And that's, that's what gives me faith in humanity that we're all able to do that. It's harder for us because we've got some more years and some more practice of, of letting our ego like make us struggle and, and all that good stuff. You know, we've got a lot of practice at that as adults, but you know, we can do it, dude. You know, 
And I think that, that probably some of the inspiration for walking through what I walked through, you know, I knew that I, I could survive it. I, I watched, I've seen it happen. I saw it in kids. I knew that the human spirit can get through it. I just had to find my own human spirit. Yeah. I get it. I get it. I think you got a beautiful message, man. Uh, you know, and hopefully this falls on a lot of years because uh, there's a lot of wisdom in, in, in this conversation we've just had. There's a lot of nuggets buried there. Um, hopefully people can use it as a framework, you know? Absolutely. So, that's, that's my goal is that, that as many people as possible can hopefully learn from my mistakes because one thing my mom always said, learn from others' mistakes. You won't live long enough to make them all on your own. You know? <laughs> that's brilliant. I like that. I like that. And so yeah. true. So let me, let me ask you a question. And looking into the future, what would be the craziest, the most exciting thing that you and your family would, could be experiencing? You know, that's a good question. I've, I had to think about that, you know, for, I've thought about that for quite a while. And honestly, right now, the, the place I'm at in life right now, I, I mentioned I'm, you know, working 60, 65 hours a week to be able to find a way to take the, the things that I love to do, the passions that I have and turn that into a profitable business in a way that I could support my family. You know, even if I, I was just to step down to part time in a job I have now and still be able to do that, you know, as part of, or, or God forbid, like crazy idea, like, man, maybe I could do that full time and go make a living and feed my family with it. That would be just ridiculous. Uh, I've, I've been working through those ideas for probably the last six months to a year. That thought's been on my mind. I haven't yet figured out how I could scale what I do to a business that, that would take care of my family. But realistically, I think the, the fundamental piece there is that I could learn to, or that I could find a way to be able to do something I'm passionate about. Something that fills my cup as a way to fill the cup of others and support my family. You know, I, I think that would be amazing. I haven't got that figured out yet, but that's definitely, it's, it's back there in the back of the brain, always kicking around. There's, there, there's a way, there's a way. I just, I don't know what it is yet. If you keep that curiosity, it's going to come up because you're just going to see the opportunities. I'm slowly learning to to just keep that as a mindset, you know. Don't let yourself be frustrated by what you're dealing with today, and 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 follow that that anger rabbit hole because that's a deep rabbit hole. Oh, you yeah. know, it it goes forever, you know. But just just keep keep the thought in your mind. Just always always be looking for opportunities, you know. And and like you know the the TV show, you know, the Forged and Fire episode I was on, right? That that kind of falls into that category. I didn't contact them. They contacted me, right? Like, like you look at the right place and like things, things happen sometimes. It happens for a reason that you don't know, but you know, we'll see where that goes, right? We'll see. I, I don't know, but I'm just going to keep trying to, trying to step forward and, and find my way towards an ultimate goal that, that involves me spending more time with my family. Cause this is, this is a place where my, where my joy is. Yeah. Okay. That's fantastic. So uh, where can my audience find you and on what platforms? I'm on Facebook as, um, you know, just Jason Palmer. I'm not that hard to find. I don't think. Um, and I have a, I have a page for me you know, for my forge stuff. You know, it's, I have blossoms and blades forge. If you look that up, it's, um, I'm not too hard to find. You can see some of the stuff I do there and I'm on Instagram by the same name only 
I think when I set it up for some reason, I put a dot between each name, I, or between each word. It's blossoms dot blades, you know, blo- blossoms and blades dot forge. Just put a dot in between each one of them. <laughs> That's the easiest way to find me there. I'll put the links in anyway so they can find you. And you're also on YouTube. I've checked out you're making oh, yeah. a, a steel rose, man. That was awesome. What you I have, did. I have almost 50 of them sitting in my garage right now. I have a festival coming up where I'm, I'm going to take a bunch of them down there. I've been working on trying to trying to work my way through it. Yeah, I think that's actually that my the old name for my for my business that I had was Possum Forge. It was just an, Possum was a nickname I had. Because I, a buddy of mine always told me I was always grinning like well, he said that I had a possum eating grin. I think is what he said. <laughs> <laughs> no, I never fantastic. figured out what that meant exactly. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But yeah, yeah, I'm on YouTube too as well, and uh, I haven't put a whole lot up there recently. But uh, maybe, maybe if I can figure out this whole time at work and, and home thing, I can figure out how to how to get that a little bit more active as well. Absolutely. Well, J- Jason, thank you so much for taking the time today to come on it. And I mean, being, being able to share your story and being so honest and vulnerable. I mean, it's a, it's a powerful conversation. And thank you for sharing that with me. I appreciate you giving the opportunity, Joel. It's, it's, a, it's a journey that I wouldn't necessarily wish on anyone, but, you know, it's worthwhile. It, it's been, it's becoming a, a meaningful journey, even though there's a lot of pain in there. So, you know, it's... If, if someone can learn lessons from my pain without having to experience it themselves, then, then all the better. Absolutely. I hear you. Absolutely. Just leave a little pause there so I can insert my little, uh, like my, my, my outro. Um, yeah. Jason, thank you, man. That was fantastic. I could, we could, I could have easily kept going, but I just away, like you know, we've been, we've been on here two hours. So, oh, the guy didn't even realize how long. It's been. <laughs> yeah, no, man, it's uh, been fantastic to connect with you, and and uh, your story is really inspiring. Well, I, I'm hopeful. Like I said, hopefully somebody can get something out of it because really, I mean, it's it's a shame to go through that much that much struggle and suffering and and not learn some lessons and share them. Yeah, you know, and that's that's what I hope for. Yeah. I'm sure you're going to get to where you want to be, especially with regards to being home and doing more while you live. Um, well, I had a question. Have you ever done um, any videos on how to set up like your own home forge and stuff, like for somebody starting up? I don't think I have. Um, and every it seems like people think that's such a challenging thing. Yeah. You know, well, honestly, <laughs> do you know what my forge is? I love this because everybody thinks, you know, I could go out tomorrow, like, you know, Craigslist and there's, I'm in the middle of America. So I can, I can find, you know, some rural areas that have a forge, you know, antique forge that the guy, grandpa had in the, in the, in the barn or something and spend five or $600 pretty easily or, or go buy a brand new one for $1,200. My forge is a stainless steel kitchen double sink set on a frame of metal. There is a, a, I think it's a sewer flange with a, some pipe coming out the bottom that goes through the drain hole. Um, and that's hooked up to a piece of dryer vent. Duct, actually, I think it's, I don't know, I bought it that way for like $50, right? And then it comes out and I duct tape that onto a, a blow dryer, you know, for like your hair, just a blow dryer. Okay. And inside the sink, there's some fire brick in there that cost me like a dollar or two a piece. And I filled in between the gaps with some sand and I put an old brake drum. On top of that, so I have a, a place, a fire pot to put my fire in, and that's all there is to it. I mean, this is as as like 
what, what we would call redneck or hillbilly as it gets, right? It, it's, it's a sink. It's a kitchen sink. We're crying out loud. That's all it is. And, and it's, it, it cost me, I think, I think I bought the whole setup off a guy on Craigslist for like 50 or $60. And he shows up and he had this, this forge. He had uh, a bucket full of, of metal, just scrap metal that he'd been using. And he had a, a, a like a 60 pound anvil, which nowadays, I mean, like you can't buy a 60 pound anvil for less than $250 on a good day. Right. So, I mean, he, it was one of those finds. I was like, oh, that's awesome. I look at it now and I'm still looking at it like this. I've had this forge for years now and it still works. And it's so easy to come up with something like that. Good. That's all it really takes. It's just a little bit of ingenuity and try something. And, you know, everything I've learned about blacksmithing, I learned by either watching a YouTube video or screwing something up. That's it. That's it. All my lessons about it come from there. Just just go go watch a video, try it, fail, try it, fail, try it, figure out something that nobody else has figured out, and suddenly you're a genius, right? That That's kind of how, how it tends to work. But yeah. it's not hard at all. If it's something somebody wants to do, it's not hard at all to do. No, I was just thinking of you putting people in to see your stuff. Um, how about um, – have you got meetups over there? Um, what do you mean meetups? So, like, I, I did a, a meetup the other day in Cardiff, but it was all to do around, like, personal development. Um, so, basically, you'd advertise on, like, on this meetup website, and you'd you'd say what you're going to do. So, you might say, introduction to blacksmithing. Generally, where you get to make maybe a, a, a petal or, or a rose. So, then they come and they pay for that experience. And you know, I don't know if that's something that's really common over here or not. After having been on the show, I've had a, two different guys contact me recently who are local, who um, who have said, "Hey, I'd love to come. I'd like to come spend some time with you in your shop. You know, I do a little bit of knife making my own, on my own. You know, I'd like to come over see your setup, see your shop, blah blah blah." And um, the the one guy actually, um, I was I, I talked to, and probably next Sunday morning, he, I'm gonna invite him over, you know, to come by, but just on a one-on-one basis sort of a thing. But I'm certain there's probably something there that's, that's of not only value just to meet people, but a way to, to, you know, maybe even turn it into something where you could bring people out and maybe have a, a little bit of a, of a fee to, for all the, the supplies and money and or supplies and, and time and, and find a way to, to do something like that as well. I know that there are some things like that that are set up, through some Facebook groups that are based around Forge and Fire. Mm-hmm. So I was actually, I was just invited one. It's in, uh, I think it happens next April somewhere in Texas um, that they, they invited us to, you know, all the contestants to, but, uh, but yeah, I, I've seen, seen something like that happen in somewhere else, but I've never actually seen it done in person. So I'm not sure what it would look like exactly, but that might be a, a thought. And then, and then even if you did create the, like the very beginning video of how to do a forge because although you say it's basic and you said it's easy is even with what you just told me i still wouldn't go and have a go i'd i'd, <laughs> I'd feel i need to be shown do you know what i mean i know exactly what you mean because i'm yeah. the same way usually yeah so that's why i bought my setup <laughs> <laughs> but, but now you've got a better understanding you've got confidence and confidence do you know what i mean to know that it works yeah and 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 that could be like some, uh, that could be like a paid digital course. So this is how you make it. Do you know what I mean? This, this is where 
you know, this is this is where you might go and source your, your stock from. Mm-hmm. And then you'd have all these different, um, think of the most basic thing that you could do with forging. But it's all on video, like an online an online video, which is a paid course. And then that is going to return for you when you're sleeping. Yeah, and that that's, I think, the challenge for me, and I don't know why. I haven't figured this out yet. The big challenge for me is watching um, seeing something like that and then, and then decide I want to put it out there and charge for it. And something I feel like, yeah, and it's, I'm not sure what it is, but I, I look at it and I, I'm at the point where, you know, you go, Oh, maybe I could charge something for this. And you're like, I couldn't charge anybody for this. Nobody would pay for this. This would be, you know, I think it's probably that, that voice in the back of your head that talks and tells you, no, this won't work. This is impossible. And he, he talks a lot in my head and says, you know, you can't sell this. You just put it up there, put it on YouTube for free. What would you say to uh, your son if he come on when he was going to start something? I'd tell him, hey, dude, you're smart enough to figure out how to make money on this. Go do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we've got to show ourselves a bit of love, haven't we? That, that's, that's 100% true. You're, you're right. You're right. That's <laughs> One of those places, I like I said, it's one of the places that I do struggle with. With is just you know realizing the the value that that I can provide to people and and seeing that as something that that might carry some monetary value. Absolutely. And and here's the crazy thing: I'm still in a position where I'm I, I'm getting there. Like I, I I got a habit of just like helping people uh, with the coaching, ra- rather than necessarily charging for the coaching. Yeah, you know, because it's, it's a doubt on not what I, I know I can achieve results for them, but it's not feeling, uh, you know, being able to be confident enough that I can charge money for it and not feel like I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, which is probably yeah. similar to maybe you know to what you just said. So I get it, I get it, I, and I'm still working on it. I think it's a process. I think I use the, you know, seven kids and, and a 60 hour work week as an excuse a lot, you know, when do I have time for that? Yeah. But I mean, you know, they, they, you can see the passion when you said that, you know, this is, this is where you want to be in. That's, that's, those are the words I use. And, uh, I still keep finding a way not to sabotage myself, but to not, not put myself in a position where that could be. So, Yeah. I'm totally understand what you're saying there. Yeah. It's, it's, it's really easy to, to, to come in here in the afternoon and sit down and do a little bit of work in my little bit of time on my laptop here and, and not go do something that, that, you know, would take me where I want to be. Yeah. You know, cause that, and I, I, I justify it to myself. Well, I've got to get to social media, right? You know, Facebook has probably told me three times that I have not posted anything to my page, you know, for all my followers to see, I need to post something. And I'm going to sit in here and, and pretend like I'm doing something, but I really haven't created any real social engagement. I still don't understand the right way to use social media to be able to create engagement and, and, and convert that over to somehow or another making some sort of monetary value out of it. I'm, I, I still kind of struggle with that. And, and I, I find all those excuses yeah. rather than just get up, go do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so you know, I said to you that my time has been restricted lately. I've been, and you said about things coming up that are uh, out of the blue and like, like the, the call for the show. 
Mm-hmm. So, so I've had one recently with a with um, a company called London Real. Uh, okay. Brian Brian Rose. He, he was an ex uh, ex banker, sort of had a massive life assessment, and now he's interviewing people, uh, uh, you know, spiritual gurus, big businessmen, and you know he's up there, like you know, and he's pro- he's he's mixing it up with these people, and uh, they sort of reached out because I'd done a podcast and asked me to lead the podcast. Oh wow! And, and like as a team leader, as one of th- three team leaders, but this has come about completely out of the blue. But what I'm finding myself doing now, I'm coaching people within my team. I've, I've, I'm, I'm hired by them as a consultant. Now this was on my vision board. The word consultant to me, for some reason, was really important. And I don't know if it's ego or whether I see being a consultant as giving me the life. I want in the future, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I just wanted to throw that out to you because you don't actually know how it's going to come about, but if you keep striving and doing that 1% better thing, like you said, it's going to come um, and you don't have to have it all figured out. And with regards to social, what I've been telling the people in my groups is, is lives. Lives is the way forward. You know, that, that, that video, the video connection so they can yeah. see you and they can resonate with you. I mean, cause it's, it's a lot, it's a lot about you. That's, you got a, you got a beautiful energy. You got a, a nice, real nice vibe about you and you, you got a, a nice way of talking and there's, and then there's the way you look, you look the part. <laughs> so, do you know what I mean? And that's just you being you. That's not, that's not put on for the show. That's just, yeah. us just Jason being a hundred percent Jason. And if people don't ever get to see that, they're missing out on a massive part of your brand. And that, that's something that you're actually not the first person to mention that live is, is kind of the, the thing that, that's making a big difference right now, yeah. it seems, in the socials. And, and you know, I, I've done it a few times on, on my on my uh, back page, and I find that if other people come into the live and will like comment, like I can sit and have a conversation with comments and with people like one guy came in. I, I still don't know who the guy is. I, I forget, he's from somewhere away, not, not local here, you know, but he came in he would ask a question. I'd respond and answer him. And we had like a full blown conversation going on. And, you know, and, and I had another guy who's in the mastermind group, um, who's in the Alliance group, uh, who, who does marketing stuff. For, and he, he said, I, I watched it. He said like, you, you did that. That went perfect like that. You were really engaging, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you know, I can do that. That's easy if I can get somebody in there who will who will interact with me, right? Yeah. Just just give me something to play off of. Otherwise, I'm just going to sit here and, and do what I'm doing and probably be, be fairly boring because watching what I do, I mean, it's kind of cool for a minute. But it then turns you realize that a lot of it's repetition. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And you can't see like the little tweaks that I put in this or that, you know, that I'm working. That That's not necessarily exciting to watch. And so I just, I've, I've got to figure out how to get that engagement in there so that, but still, even with that, I'm not certain how you convert that to something that's more business related and not just achieving that dopamine hit because, because, you know, oh, so many people, this many people watched your video, you know, this many people commented or what, you know, the dopamine hits you get there. Yeah. Okay. That makes you feel good when you see that people are engaged and interested in what you do, but you know, fi- figuring out how to convert that into something that's financially beneficial. That that's the, the piece that I'm totally lost on. Okay. But if it, so to challenge your perspective, if it's just a dopamine hint of people 
liking your stuff or knowing your stuff, for you to turn it into something that's financially successful, what do you need for those people to, to allow you to be financially successful? I have no idea. Because honestly, the difficult part is what I make and sell, I would have to be an absolute machine yeah. to be able to have the time to make it and sell it and make enough profit to be to you know provide a sustainable income. Yeah. And that would be a real challenge for me. So I, I don't know that that's the way forward. But I'm not real certain what the way forward is there. You know how how those two how the financial interacts with the social. The, 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 for, for me, as I see it, it would be the fact that you need to build an audience first. And I'm only talking from experience of a friend who committed to once a week doing Wednesday wins. I think, I think you're friends with him, actually. Jason Teeters. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He does Wednesday wins. Okay. And then he's just plump, plopping them out every week, consistently, every week. Just like, you know, walking with his daughter because he's, he's created this life where he, he stays home with his daughter while his wife goes to work and he's working on his business on the site. Okay. And he's had some wonderful things happen recently purely because of those lives where like people reaching out to him first, like he wanted to be a coach and then he had people reaching out for him saying, Hey man, how, how did you create your life? Blah, blah, blah. And, and then from there then like three months, four months later, he had a company reach out to him because they'd seen his lives who then said, we're, start, we're doing a new startup in your area. We love your content. Would you consider consulting for us and running courses in your, in your town? <laughs> now, I mean, none of those synchronicity moments can come about if you are not putting that content out there. I think part of it, too, is maybe, like I said before, I'm a bit of a planner. So, like, I, I want to see the way forward. And and then it's really easy for me to hit those marks and, and go see the way forward. And sometimes I guess maybe the you just you just go out and do things and see where it leads you. And maybe that's what God or the universe, whatever you want to call it, is trying to teach me to live in the moment and just go out there and 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 wait for the opportunities to, to show up because they will. Oh, they will. Hundred percent they will. You learn a little bit here and learn a little bit there and then suddenly you go, Oh, wait, this is it, it kinda like the forged in fire episode, right? Like like, cause I know a lot of guys, even on some of the Facebook groups I'm a part of now, because there's a lot of stuff that you kind of get in, pulled into there once you've been a contestant on the show and people want to, want you to be part of different groups so that, you know, they, and guys ask questions. Well, how did you get in? What you put on your application? What? And I'm thinking, I, I never filled out an application. Like they contacted me. I got, I, they contacted you. I got a Facebook message where, where the scouts like, you know, I am with so-and-so, you know, ITV creative and we do this and that. And, you know, and I'm, and my initial response, you know, my dad was a cop, right? I was raised with a bit of a skeptical eye. My first thought was, how are they trying to scam me? Who is this? <laughs> that was like my first reaction, right? And, I mean, we were into like the Skype interview that I'm like, okay, this might be real. <laughs> like, like they reached out and I still don't know why. I'm just like, like the hillbilly from the middle of Missouri who bought a, a stainless steel sink forge <laughs> and started like heating up metal and beating on it because I needed something to do. And it looked interesting to me and it kind of grew into something that somewhere they saw something and, and, and they, they had, you know, they came and contacted me. I didn't contact them and they invited me and I'm like, you know, I, the episode that I was on, right. 
of the other Smiths that were there, there was four of us there. And I was probably, I mean, being generous to myself, I was probably the third most talented and or skilled, whatever you want to call it, of the group, right? Like the one guy, he, he, he's got it spot on. He knows what he's doing. He, he's on his way. The, the guy who, who eventually won the episode, I'm going to tell you, he should have won it. That guy is like amazing, right? He is highly skilled. And I walk in and I'm looking around, I'm like, I don't know. I saw some of the pictures of his work. And I'm like, <laughs> I wish I could do that. You know, and I'm competing against you. What? But you know, it's just that, that little piece is just one more piece of, of the way forward that you, who plans on being on TV, right? Who plans yeah. on having that happen in that way? I can't, I can't plan that. I just, just, I guess need to learn to walk forward and in faith that something's going to happen because everything has a starting place and you never know where it's going to end up. So just just keep following your joy. I mean, if you ever want a challenge, I, I, I see something I've got to do is post regular. So if you want to stay in, stay in touch and we can uh, hold each other accountable, I, I'm up for that. <laughs> that sounds like a good plan because I, I tried to be tried to be regular, but you know, And right now I'm spending more time down in the forge because I do have we've got a big festival here. Um, are you, do you, I don't know how much about American history they teach over there. Are you familiar with Lewis and Clark? Yes. Okay, Lewis and Clark came through our area, and uh, they stopped in a, a little town they called Les Petites Cope, which is, I think, French for the Little Hills. Um, so uh, that's St. Charles now is the name of the town. But uh, they have a festival every year there, uh, Festival of the Little Hills, and it's been going on since 1971, I think. Um, so it's it's just, and it's turned into this big, huge kind of like craft and artisan fair. And you have to—it's a juried show. You have to apply to be, you know, to to sell anything there, be a vendor. I talked to him and I got accepted and I'm going to demonstrate while I'm there um, this year. So I get to you know bring out the anvil on the forge and make stuff and all that. And so I've got this big event. I think last year they had 350,000 visitors over the weekend. Oh, wow. So yeah, it's, it's not a small festival, right? This is a big deal. And there's a potential for really kind of being able to, to make something out of this. So I was like, ah, it's not, it's not cheap. It's, it's, it's going to cost me about, well, $400 to, between the, you know, renting the space and then you have to have the insurance and all that. But yeah, cost wise, it's going to cost me about $400 to, to do it. But I'm looking at it going, I could really have some possibilities, some, some stuff here. So I'm trying to build as much stock as I can. You know? yeah. And um, I just actually, I don't have it up here. I think it's down in the garage. I just figured out a new process to where I can take those metal roses. And um, I talked with another smith who gave me a, a recipe for a formula to coat them with to kind of protect them. And then he said he bakes them in an oven. Well, I took, I've got an oxyacetylene torch, right? And you cut all the oxygen off and that acetylene has a lot of carbon in it. While the fish is still kind of wet, I'll just heat it with that, with that, um, acetylene. And it has a lot of carbon and soot that kind of soaks into that finish. And they should be dry today or tomorrow because it's an oil based finish. It should finally be dry. And if it works out the way it looks like it is, I'm going to be able to complete create completely black roses. Oh, wow. Which I think is a whole other like, like realm of people. I can, I can really, you know, yeah. Find some interest in like just totally straight midnight black forged roses. And I'm like, this is so cool. Right. Yeah. So I, I've got this whole process I've, I've worked out and, and I need to maybe put some of that up there, but yeah, it, it wouldn't be that hard to find things like this that I'm, that I'm just trying out for the first time playing with to, to be able to put some, yeah, I'm doing it on a regular basis. 
turn on the live camera. The hard part is that my wife comes down and helps me with some of the simpler, you know, like, like the cutting the certain pieces out that just, it takes time. Right. And she's like, I'll come help you. I'm like, you're awesome. Right. But then if I turn on the camera, she's like, I'm out. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, it's a shame. Yeah. She, <laughs> she wants nothing to do with the camera. And I'm not going to push her on that one. I know better. But yeah, so I just have to, to kind of maybe work it around that a little bit. Okay. There's some food for thought in here. You know? I mean, let's let's keep in touch. And uh, yeah, definitely if you're putting something out on Facebook, tag me. And it, if you've got an event coming up or you're releasing something like uh, maybe a couple of days before your show, let's uh-huh. let's let's jump on and do a live. Um, okay. Just, just to get, you know, some content out there that maybe you can share and you can tag other people that may be interested in your work. Yeah, I, I because I I find that my when I do a live video just by myself with me sitting down, it suddenly looks like a guy who doesn't really know what he's doing. You know, kind of I I do when I bounce something off of somebody else. It's it's like that interaction does something that that fires my brain. When I sit by myself and talk, I'm not a very entertaining guy. And I know that because I've watched my own live videos and I'm like, yeah, I got to work on that. But when you when you first picked up your your Smithy tools. Was you was you instantly competent? Um, I'm gonna say probably not. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, it's, I I hear you, and I was exactly the same. One of the challenges when we started the podcast was we had to do um, a challenge called the live challenge, and they're constantly on to you to like post videos, and I was like, I used to get I used to get angry, I used to get really angry because I was like, I don't want to do it, I don't not interested in doing lives. I don't want to do lives. I want to do podcasts. But what tends to happen is when you talk, you, you, I was talking to myself and it's sort of, it's, it's, it, I don't know, there's a weird thing to your brain where you suddenly become, understand how you talk and how you carry yourself. And you, you start to lose the, it's not quite fear, but it's the uncomfortableness of mm-hmm. it. It tends to just dissipate. So uh, stick with him, man. I'll um, I'll send you a link to the it's something called um, American Real Life Tribe, and it's a okay. 21, 21 day challenge. Um, I got to day ten, and I was like, Do you know what? I'm done. I don't I don't need it anymore. I, I was just past it, but it's brilliant for getting past it. Um, and it's a it's a one minute video every day for twenty one days, and see how okay. you go. Yeah. And, and I'm sure I could, you know, and that's the thing, like the camera doesn't bother me a bit. Like I, I went on the, on the TV show and my God, I didn't know they had that many cameras in there. They had a lot of cameras in there, but you know, that part didn't bother me a bit, you know, yeah. in all honesty, I, I, I laugh at, about it a lot of times and tell people, you know, I'm married, right? Yeah. I found a woman that would marry all this. Like she married me. I'm done with impressing girls, right? I have seven kids, right? I don't, I don't need to make any more kids. I don't need any more children. I don't need any more women in my life. I'm, I'm done impressing people, right? Yeah. Like, I've got a four-year-old who thinks I am the coolest thing in the world. <laughs> like, you know, because, well, when he first came to our house, my wife was spending a lot of time at the hospital with our daughter, right? So he was, he was like my little homie, right? Like, everywhere we went, he was on me somewhere, hanging off with his head or his shoulder, or I was carrying him. Or, you know, we were just thick as thieves. Yeah. And he thinks I'm the coolest thing in the world. I don't need to impress anybody else anymore. So I've gotten through a lot, any, a lot of the self-conscious thing. Yeah. The only thing I do kind of struggle with is because one little piece of, of it that most people don't realize, I've had six strokes. Oh, whoa. 
So yeah, they're what's called lucunar infarctions. Or for a strokes go, they're really, really minor. But nonetheless, it's six strokes. And one of the things I do know that people tell me they don't notice it as much, but I know I do it, is when I'm looking for a, like words sometimes, I will I'll like, like, God dang it, I know the word I'm looking for. I can't find a word. And I kind of stutter and stammer a little bit. Or you know, I'll, I'll take two words and put them together or mix them up a little bit. I think everybody does that to some level. Yeah. But I do it a lot more now than I used to before, you know, before I found all that. You know, they, they found a, um, I had a, a hole in my heart, um, which is actually a normal thing everybody's born with, but it's supposed to heal and mine didn't. And they were, they're suspecting that there was some blood clots that was crossing over from one side of the heart to the other and shooting these tiny little pieces of, of, uh, of blockages up to my brain that was causing these, you know, like little strokes like that big, but it was, yeah. A little stroke that big is a big deal, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. so after several of them, I've I've noticed some some uh, some effects in my speech, and so I have to slow down and think about it a little bit sometimes. You come across beautifully today. Well, good. Maybe you don't. Maybe you don't see the well. And, and you didn't know me before. Before I had to, to struggle with it, so that's one of those things. I knew me before that, and so I I see that, and that's what I'm talking about. I have to work on like like what is what are the pieces of me that I look at and go, this is bad. Mm. And you know, it's not necessarily bad. It just is like, I can't change the strokes, right? No, exactly. I cannot change the strokes that, that happened. I just have to learn to, to stop labeling that as bad or, or negative some way and just, Hey, this is it. This is what it is. And that, and that's probably my one piece of, of self-consciousness that I have left about that sort of thing. Yeah. It's a process, man. You work it. Yeah. I mean, I've gotten over all the rest of it. You know, I mean, I, I grew up, I, I'm, I'm what, you know, I like to call ambiguously brown. And I grew up in, you know, you know, I lived in Missouri and Tennessee, you know, the back hills of Tennessee for quite a while. And being brown in, in the 80s and the backwoods of Tennessee was not a good thing necessarily. There was plenty of racism down there. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I had to kind of overcome all that, you know, and, you know, all the other things, you know, I was kind of the fat kid in school and, and so I had to, but I've learned to overcome almost all of that pretty, pretty well. Yeah. It's just this one little piece that's still trying to hang on. You'd think at 40, some 40, 41 years old, I'd be able to kind of get over that. You shed it. It's just, you're heading in the right direction and it, and it'll happen when you're fully ready rather than when you want it to happen. <laughs> isn't that the problem it always yeah. happens <laughs> not yeah. when you want it <laughs> yeah, absolutely well Jason I'll leave you to it brother thank you very much for taking the time today yeah I appreciate it man have a good day and love to the family same to you man and have a good evening you too so thank you for listening today I hope you enjoyed it my name is Joel Ingram and I am a certified NLP coach I help passionate, resourceful, and professional people feel stuck and unfulfilled with aspects of life to rewrite their narrative and chronicle a new, engaging, and captivating future. Please subscribe if you found benefit. Yeah, it's probably getting close to evening over there, isn't it? It's 20 to 3. Okay, okay, yeah, I'm 20 minutes to 9 a.m., so. <laughs> Have a good that whole time difference thing, you'd think I'd figure that out, but. <laughs> no worries, man. <laughs> All right, you you take care now. We'll talk to you soon. Man. All right, cheers, Jason. All right, bye.